You better be listening to Slezoids or I must break you. Well, I got the proper medicine for that cat. A 30-30 slug right between the eyes. There was Kurt, the hunter, who wanted the cat in his sight. This film, acclaimed by critics as the most violent motion picture ever portrayed on the screen. Notorious gang bent on the slaughter of human souls for a small fortune in gold. And even more precious, their freedom. Living in the shadow of fear cast by a giant black panther. A prowling killer cat that leaves in his track the same lust and tameless passions that mark all their lives. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Sleezoids, the podcast where we go down the rabbit hole of 20th century genre fare from the most influential canon classics to the trashiest exploitation films we can get our hands on and invite you to tag along in helping us create a canon of sleaze. Each week is a double feature, Grindhouse style, where we discuss two films loosely related by subject, genre, actor, filmmaker, or franchise. And at the end of each episode, along with our honorary Sleezoids, which you can become by subscribing on Patreon. This year, our gift to you is safety from edged weapons um, and you absolutely need to sign up. It's for your own good over the holidays. And that's all I'll say right now. So join that sleaze. <laughs> we decide on all the official ratings and rankings for every film that we cover. Patreon subscribers also get an honor shout out and two bonus episodes every single month, which we are coming up on five full years of bonus Damn. episodes. It's like 120 plus as well as our bonus transmission series, which we've almost done like 40 of. Uh, so if you haven't made the jump yet, <laughs> patreon.com slash sleazoids podcast go check it out and speaking of which we do have a uh, bunch of new signups to give their shout outs this week we had julian kopkis sign up at five dollars we had damien sign up at five dollars uh alistair brown mr melendez uh adam uh jonathan w johnson who signed up at ten dollars a month is going to be joining us for our monthly virtual screening which we usually do on the last thursday of a given month, although I think for the month, uh, by the time you guys are listening to this, we would have actually already done the bonus one for this month because we did a little bit earlier because we wanted to honor the uh, late, great uh, B-movie legend, uh, Albert Pune. So we talked yeah. about, uh, or we we watched with everyone in a big virtual screening, uh, we talked about his post-Tarantino heroic bloodshed gangster movie, Mean Guns, which is uh, starring Christopher Lambert and Ice-T and is uh, scored front to back to basically mambo music and it's just a blast <laughs> so uh but but we will be doing one next month as well so anyone interested ten dollars a month join us for the virtual screenings uh we also had uh six Anik sign up we had nate uh meisner we had samuel uh harrington uh we got just a couple more here uh uberlin gizbar uh travis nielsen Michael Rescati, Merrick Alozi, and Ben. So thanks so much to all of you folks. Hope you're enjoying all of those bonus episodes. We appreciate the support. Yes, thank you. Uh, and that's the one plug for the week. The other plug for the week, as always, is Apple Podcasts or Spotify or and Spotify. If you are listening on either one of those platforms, and I see the stats, I see you right now listening on both those platforms. Give us a good old rating and review down at the bottom. Uh, it helps us climb the ranks and find new listeners. We appreciate that as well. And then the very last plug, as always, is merch. If you like the poster art that based out of Toronto horror artist Trevor Henderson did for the show, you can get that basically put on anything that you can think of. A shirt, a hoodie, a poster, a pen, a pillow. You guys have bought a lot of things with the Sleezoids logo. Uh, that link is in the description as well as over at sleezoidspodcast.com for anyone who's interested. But uh, that is it for 
the intro. Welcome back to another week. As always, I am your host, Josh Lewis, and joining me also, as always, is my co-host. Jamie Miller. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome. Uh, I think over on the main feed for all the free listeners, the last time you folks would have heard from us would have just been two weeks ago where we would have done a uh, double feature of wacky demon body horror films with uh, special returning guest Melissa Kay. And she brought with her uh, a Canadian children's Fulci movie, essentially, called The Gate from 1987, <laughs> directed by Tibor Tech and starring a little baby Stephen Dorff, uh, who summons a bunch of little mischievous guys with the power of metal music. Um, yeah. And we we paired that film with Tales from the Crypt Demon Knight from 1995, directed by a regular Spike Lee cinematographer and The Wire director Ernest Dickerson which was a film that was like part siege Western part demon splatter movie with just a level of controlled, like comic book horror mania that, you know, kind of rivals someone like Sam Raimi. And also one of the hammiest villain performances of all time uh, by one Mr. Billy Zane. Oh yeah. He's leaning into the, to the comedic aspects of the film. It's, it's so funny. He has, um, what was that line that you posted a bunch of times? Like, oh yeah, you, fuck this cowboy shit, you ho down po dunk motherfuckers or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Proceed to punch a cop right through his face. It's just uh, an unbelievable film. His fist gets stuck in his in like in his skull. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> wonderful. So if you haven't heard that episode, that was over on the main feed two weeks ago. I'd recommend going back and listening to that one. Uh, but last week, over on the bonus feed, over on the Patreon exclusively for our listeners there, we did your patron-voted episode, which, once again, once every two months, we uh, we introduce some democracy, and we let you folks vote on the double feature that we talk about. And you guys, uh, last week, gave us uh, early 80s sci-fi fantasy films that are kind of considered black sheep projects within the careers of respected auteur directors. Mm -hmm. We talked about David Lynch's Dune from 1984, which is just a beautiful, strange mess as much as as it's been talked about and advertised. And we paired it with Michael Mann's The Keep, uh, which is a very moody dreamscape fairy tale about a giant ancient demon killing a bunch (laughs) of Nazis. And both were adaptations of novels that were uh, severely tampered with in in post by the studio. I think actually both were meant to be three hours, and David Lynch's was cut to two hours and 15, and Michael Mann's was cut down to (laughs) 90 minutes. Which is insane. Yes, so both are kind of considered incomprehensible and were considered huge failures for both filmmakers, but uh, due to the style. They, they definitely yeah. both retain some psychedelic dreamlike qualities. So uh, if you haven't heard that episode, we talked about uh, that last week over on the Patreon. So go check it out if that interests you at all. But moving on to this week, we have a very special returning guest uh, who was actually on last year to send us into the holiday festive season. Um, last time she brought with her these uh, bizarre quasi misogynistic <laughs> extreme 90s erotic thrillers um, which was a great way to celebrate the holidays um, <laughs> <laughs> she is a uh, uh, self-titled genre film fanatic she's a freelance film writer for places such as film school rejects and cinemascope magazine actually alongside me now we were actually both covering uh the toronto international film festival this year for for cinemascope watching some good movies and some bad movies together uh (laughs) but that that guest is meg shields meg how you doing yeehaw (laughs) 
Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's all I got. Yeehaw, baby. <laughs> Yeehaw. All right. Peace out. <laughs> we, Goodbye. We we had a good run. <laughs> Well, it's it, it, it's funny because like we I, it was I, when we had you on because I, if I recall correctly, we talked disclosure with Michael <laughs> Douglas, which mm-hmm. was a movie about what if a woman had office power and assaulted oh, a man? You know, know. what happened? <laughs> yeah. And then crazy. we talked about William Friedkin's Jade, which was all about the uh, the scary serial killing side of sex work. Mm. Um, so, and. <laughs> You, I think when we did that episode, you pointed out to me that uh, I happened to choose that episode because you sent me two photos oh, and you said, depending yes. on which photo I selected would be the double feature. And the yeah, one I photo, sent you two stock photos and you, you chose this was your fault. <laughs> is I think what we concluded. <laughs> yes, because you sent me a, a, a man in a sweater at a computer and you <laughs> yep. sent me a cozy winter log cabin and I uh-huh. chose the man at the computer. So that was... <laughs> that was disclosure last year around this time. Well, yeah, uh, Michael Douglas goes into the cyberspace, so it's like I need to. I couldn't think of a more Michael Douglas photo. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Um, we definitely had a blast doing that. But you, I think, if I'm not mistaken, this week you are bringing on what would have happened behind door number two if I Correct. had selected the other one. So what we are we are talking going, about this week, and why have you paired these together? So we're, we're going to Snowy Cabin. Uh, we're doing two winter westerns. We're doing Track of the Cat and Cutthroat's Nine, two very normal movies. <laughs> oh, yeah. Very happy. Yeah. Yeah. So we've, we've got kind of uh, uh, an older, a western that came out at a time where traditional westerns were still being made. Um, Track of the Cat is, I think, 1954. Um, but even mm-hmm. though it was coming out alongside pretty traditional westerns it really embodies some of the spirit of the neo-westerns that would come a bit later in the 60s mm-hmm. and definitely in the 70s that would challenge what makes a western a western and kind of just destroying <laughs> the foundations of uh american uh myth making uh and it's very much like almost like a douglas Sirk family drama um and then <laughs> Cutthroat's Nine is not made by Lucio Fulci, but I can, you have to imagine Lucio Fulci watching it and just like his eyes becoming like hearts and him realizing <laughs> what he wanted to do with his life. <laughs> like, um, uh, it's a, a Spanish uh, Western that was very much drawing from uh, spaghetti Westerns, um, but also kind of happening alongside them. Uh, and it is uh, very gritty and silly and uh, very depressing. It is like very famously one of the most uh, kind of um, horror adjacent westerns ever made, which I think is mm. accurate. Like I struggle to think of another western that like doesn't go out of its way to like actively include genre elements that I would classify as a horror movie. Um, mm. And yeah, it's just like a big bummer of a time, but it's shot in the Pyrenees. And like when I watch it, I want to go to there. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah I both know. of these I, are I, incredibly I, bad vibes. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. oh, what do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, this is, I'm noticing a recurring theme on the movies <laughs> that I bring you. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I, um, I actually really adore both these movies. I've like, I, I repeat watch them a lot. <laughs> And, um, and there's something about watching winter westerns in December and in the winter that really 
uh, scratches my brain nice. Like I love um, westerns that butt up against traditional westerns, and like almost every snowy western does that. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's true. Yeah. And then Criterion stole our idea, Josh. I know. Well, that was the funniest thing. They announced it. They announced a winter Western series and they put track of the cat in the series. And I'm like, are you kidding Mm -hmm. me? Meg selected this movie like a year and a half ago to do. And it just so happened. But you know what? I will just say, look, you know what? The movie is widely available on the Criterion channel. So you have now anyone listening, you have no excuse. Go to the Criterion channel, watch track of the cat, come back. Because both of these, I'd say, are pretty underseen based on logs. And not only that, <laughs> uh, Cutthroat's Nine is free on Tubi, and the, transfer, I mean, the people is, streaming and the service. transfer is good. So yeah. if you yeah. can like stomach That's some ads, uh, go to Tubi. Uh, they don't need our advertisement, but Tubi good. <laughs> like, yeah, it's um, yeah. I agree. I've actually watched yeah, a so couple of the uh, movies that were on this show that were more obscure on Tubi. So it is it's pretty good. Yeah, they're pretty ruthless. They like I don't I don't know if you've ever checked out their like what we're tossing out at the end of the month section, but they truly just like cycle through things. (laughs) Like they're not like they're not like oh we're getting rid of thirty movies. They're like we're purging the closet. (laughs) (laughs) Have to respect it. Hell yeah! So both of these films are available for streaming, which is good. Because they both, uh, they don't have too many logs, so people got to be checking them out, and we're about to explain why. But that being said, I think we're going to jump into it here. Let's start off with (laughs) Track of the Cat. Wait a minute. Hold on. Uh Oh, Oh, I thought you were insinuating we didn't have a lot of logs because they suck, but that's not true. (laughs) (laughs) No, just obscure. Okay. <laughs> okay, yeah, no, let's talk Track of the Cat, the strangest, the film that includes the strangest pronunciation of Panther ever. Yes, I can't <laughs> wait to get into that. I can't wait to get into that. Let's do it. Right, we are talking Track of the Cat, the 1954 American Western directed by William A. Wellman and based on the 1949 novel of the same name by Walter Clark, making it Wellman's actually second adaptation of Clark's uh, work since he also wrote the novel um, for the other Wellman we've actually covered on the show and this year, The Oxbow Incident, which we actually we paired with um, 12 angry men mm-hmm. when we had special guest jason buford on talking about uh talking about those and the, the film was also adapted by the writer who wrote one of my favorite noirs ever kiss me deadly um so this is a pretty cool combination of uh filmmakers um and for anyone who didn't listen to our uh episode on the oxbow incident william wellman one of the weirdest american directors ever he yep. was a delinquent boy from massachusetts uh, in his early age, we I think we we broke down that episode that like everyone just knew him as like the kid who played hockey and stole cars and like worked <laughs> in lumber yards. And he was eventually drafted into World War One, where he was a frontline fighter pilot who saw real action 
and reportedly shot down at least eight aircrafts, um, which Dang. when he got back to the United States actually inspired his film Wings from 1927, which is probably one of the earliest and most immersive examples of dogfighting um, on screen. He even taught Buddy Rogers how to fly and invented cameras so that they could shoot real footage inside biplanes. This man was the real, he was Tom Cruise of like the yeah. 1920s. He Am I was. wrong in saying that Wings is the first best picture winner also? So, I believe that's true. That might be true. I, I haven't looked at it. I wanted that to might be I true. I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> it's been on my list for a while now. Wings, baby, number one. <laughs> the, nice. the first one? There yeah, you go. Baby. God damn it. Wait, Williams, let's make sure it's not a different Wings. Nineteen twenty seven. Billy Wellman, let's go. <laughs> yeah, so there you go. William Wellman, the first ever winner of Best Picture and was what also an insane pilot who invented cameras to do it. And he would eventually go on to work in all kinds of genres. Comedies, when you're noirs, so good dramas. At flying planes, you invent the Best Picture Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's a life right there. He also did the original Star is Born that was then remade a bunch of times. Times. And his uh, his big breakthrough was the uh, pre-code gangster film for Warner Brothers, The Public Enemy, starring James Cagney, which is a real dark and mean and shocking piece of, of crime cinema about a hmm. poor kid being kind of corrupted into a full-blown psychopath. And very famously, that movie is one considered one of Martin Scorsese's favorites, and he's very inspired by it, uh, especially well, the really know, expressively... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> the very uh, expressively shot passages in that film. Like there's like a, a shootout that takes place inside a building while the camera like remains on the outside, like listening to it. And it just has one of like the the darkest endings you'll ever see in a 1930s film, which also translated actually to the Oxbow incident when we talked about it. Because we were like, <laughs> yeah. for a fucking Western of that era, that thing is fucking dark though it's it's like the whole movie is a slow build to a bunch of guys hanging a guy uh, hanging a bunch of innocent people and the movie ends with them just hanging the innocent people and then finding out they were innocent and then that's the end of the movie <laughs> yeah, it's so <laughs> devastating <Please clap. laughs> Oh my yeah, it's God. just it's it's like a huge just builds and builds and builds to a huge brutal anticlimax that's just incredibly feel bad and this yeah, one so carries it, that like same kind of sadness for I would say in terms of feel bad tragic western yeah yeah, yeah. like like uh, I would say nine out of uh, ten of the like nine tenths of this film is absolutely just devastating and then we'll get to the finale which is a little strange I found just with everything else that's that's going on especially comparing just to uh the oxbow incident but um yeah the, it very depressing stuff just lonely and yeah it's giving seasonal depression <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> definitely <laughs> yeah no I this was this was a very uh interesting one Meg what was your first experience with uh with track of the cat I think I literally Googled winter westerns <laughs> and was, like, <laughs> was like, I don't know that one. I'm feeling <laughs> like, that vibe. Yeah. And then I watched it. And I was like, oh, shit, <laughs> this is really good. And like, um, <clears throat> yeah, no, it's it's uh, I don't know. Movies that that uh, have the energy of plays are I don't know. There's especially older films that have the energy of plays feel really good, which is why this film is so funny because it's not based on a play. It's based off a book. Um, mm -hmm. but I don't know. It's so character driven and everyone is acting their little hearts out in a way that only 1950s stock players could. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I love, I love this movie and I love the dynamics and I love how it leans into more 
symbolist storytelling. Like mm-hmm. that feels very antithetical to modern or traditional westerns of the time. It's great. Yeah, there's something about like the the isolation of where they are. You don't see anybody outside of this family, um, and so it just feels like they're in this very like empty space uh, a lot of the time. And it's pretty focused on the setting of the house. I mean, they you know they go out and they. Um, look for the cat and all of that. And there's some, some kind of like wilderness stuff that happens as the well. Black but painter. Yes. The black painter. Yes. Yeah. But so much of it is just like watching, you know, the, the dad being drunk and hitting on the, the young girlfriend and then Harold trying to find his manhood, I guess. And, and the, the mother dealing with all the devastating death that's going on and loss and her kind of more, I guess, really staunch religious, um, beliefs that, uh, have affected the family as well. So like it, it's yeah it was a lot uh just given the the premise where they were like gonna go out and get a cat I was surprised at how <laughs> melodramatic it was and, instead of like the more I guess uh, action heavy beats that it could have taken just with uh, yeah, well, and, 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 and how drenched in mood it is too right oh yeah yeah, yeah. and kind of mystery the too like like the um they they mentioned a couple times with. Uh, this is Joe Sam, I believe, the um, mm-hmm. the Native American man. Um, he, which by the way, uh, played by the little boy from It's a Wonderful Life in horrendous <laughs> makeup. Uh, and, uh, he was the original <laughs> Alfalfa, also uh, yeah. in, in like a spirit Halloween like rubber mask. <laughs> like, oh, like, like I yeah, would, I, I would sure. be offended by it if the makeup wasn't like so fucking bad. <laughs> yeah, because it's so and it's so exaggerated. Like it makes him look like 150 years old, and then they have he these looks like a walking tree. <laughs> like, well, yeah. that, that's because yeah. he was still technically like a kid. Like when they made this, he was in like his late 20s or something, and they were like, "Yeah, oh, no, wow. you're gonna play like a." like a 80 year old native man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then they have these stories about Joe Sam where it's like, they don't know his exact age and that he could, if, if given the timeline that they know about, he could be over a hundred years old. So there's this like layer of mystery to him or something like that. And I guess that's what, when the, the makeup kind of worked for me in that sense, I didn't know that it was a white 20 year old playing it, but, uh, but just in the, they in the way that it works right. within the film, you know, um, well, no, I didn't. <laughs> no, they didn't necessarily get me. I could, I definitely could tell it was makeup. I just thought that that okay. was uh, more like an on purpose um, physical oh, attribute to him because no. of his supposed age and how they didn't really know where I guess he came from entirely. They just trust his yeah. stories that that he's telling. He's- them. He, he's definitely one of the elements of this film that is uh, of its era in comparison to or like like pre like of, of the old Western versus so much of the rest of the film, which is kind of pointing forward to where the Western genre was going to be going mm-hmm. with the, you know, with the, the, the level of kind of bleakness and, and coldness. And again, it's not to say that there hasn't been bleak ideas expressed in in older Westerns. I mean, the Oxbow incident is a 40s Western. Um, right. And I, and we did My Darling Clementine, John Ford as well, which has some pretty dark elements to it is is as well but what's interesting about this is that if there's just there's a level of just like immediate harshness to this because you yeah. would think that you know with the you know the, there's a way to approach winter vibes where it's cozy you get the cabins you get the fireplaces going but this it's like 
long shot of Robert Mitchum, uh, you know, on a, on, on a horse uh, heading towards the snow covered cabin. There is this, uh, you know, this these horrible sounds waking everyone up in the middle of the night on this ranch in Northern California. Um, and, and the harsh sounds of the winds are blowing by and we're introduced to the Bridgers brothers who are all um, woken up by their uh, native hired hand, Joe Sam, um, who thinks that the livestock are being disturbed by this mystical, vengeful black painter uh, or a black <laughs> panther, which they, they all every single one of them calls it a black painter, which threw me threw me off. Like yeah. every, the, yep. there's a there's a painter out there. We got to get that painter, <laughs> you know, and um, Van Gogh crouching in art. the woods. Like, yes. Eating this, a cow. <laughs> yes. This 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 painter uh he arrives with the winter as Joe Sam, the snow comes, the black Panther comes uh, to curse them for, uh, they sort of imply for like their colonial violence, but, but also they want to like track down the Panther and, and hunt it and kill it before it harms the family. And we're introduced to all of the brothers being confronted with the situation of the livestock is being tormented by this, by this creature. Uh, we have the eldest and the most sort of like responsible brother, Arthur played by William Hopper, uh, from rebel without a cause and the Maltese Falcon. We have the youngest and uh, sort of uh, sheepish future of the family, Harold, played by Tab Hunter, who I've actually only ever seen in a in an underrated western called Gunman's Walk, but I believe also have was you supposed seen to be a John Waters film, Josh. That, well, I, well, I haven't seen the I haven't seen the one that he's in. He's in Polyester, right? I've mm -hmm. seen Female Trouble, and I've seen. Um, what's the one where she, what's the one where she eats shit? I've seen that. Oh. One. Oh, uh, Pink Flamingo. <laughs> Pink Flamingos. That's right. Yeah. So I've seen a couple. I've seen probably like four or five John Waters. I just okay. haven't seen Polyester, which I believe is the one that Tab Hunter is in. Um, but also Tab Hunter. Word, I could be wrong. Uh, Tab Hunter also in this era was actually supposedly inspiration for uh, Rick Dalton's career uh, once upon a time in Hollywood. So he was supposed oh. to apparently he kind of had that kind. He never really took off. He kind of had like that unrealized, you know, he could have been a star type quality uh, mm -hmm. to him. But but all, both of them are superseded. Very on brand for Harold, I will say. Yes, <laughs> the uh, both of them are superseded by the uh, cruel and boorish brother Kurt Bridges, played by God of Cinema yes. Robert Mitchum, King, uh, who not many people can say it had I probably an uh, iconic performance in every decade from the 1940s until the 1990s. Basically, if you start stacking them mm -hmm. up, like Night of the Hunter, Ed of the Past, both Cape Fears. Friends of Eddie Coyle, the Yakuza dead man. The guy was just in in everything. And in this could not be stopped. He, no, yeah. he just he just gets to chew. I love his bright Christmas red overcoat. He is just mm -hmm. dripped the hell out. And he's like the only total, one with color, like really, because it's so it's almost grayscaled and all the snow and everything like that. Like he, he Well, really I know the director pops. the director said he wanted to make a black and white film in color was like his mm -hmm. visual approach to the film. Right. Um, which is cool. I, I'm glad he didn't because it looks real pretty in color because <laughs> we get that red <laughs> coat. Um, yeah. But it does have that like winter thing of just color leaching out of everything just by virtue of it being winter. Um, mm -hmm, but you're right. Mm -hmm. I'd never noticed that before that the, the red wool coat is kind of the only thing we get. Even the quilt on 
uh, Art's bed is black and white. <laughs> like we get yeah. nothing. Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, he oh, he, he wanted to get the sort of monochromatic, subdued shades in there because it was such the opposite of what others were doing. Like for example, the year after this, uh, Anthony Mann would put out the Man from Laramie with Jeremy sure. uh, with Jimmy with Jimmy Stewart, which has similar like beautiful scope compositions. Um, but it's just it feels so populated with life and with color. And, and this feels like it's just been drained of that because of years of like bad history between of these characters. Vibes. So <laughs> Yeah. So so the, so they intentionally downplay color so that they can highlight it in either specific moments, like with this big red coat, uh, which really stands out, which is like it, it does feel like, you know, um, an idea of like uh, him trying to kind of assert his individuality a little bit and kind of sure. fight against the uh, the the sort of more repressed elements of of the family and mundane elements kind of 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 the household, which it, it feels yeah. like it's kind of uh, playing up with the lack of color. And he does seem as a character to have this mindset that he is the he could be like the savior of the valley and the family and all of that. I mean, even when they wake him up initially to do the job, uh, he's at first just like fuck off like don't even talk to me right now i'm sleeping and then as soon as they give him the the scenario and it's like oh you can you know kind of be the hero you can go out and get this cat he seems to jump up and and respond to that so he seems to be someone that which can we also just say that is such a funny premise for mm -hmm. a movie yeah what killing, like, a, killing a cat <laughs> yeah just going out and killing a cat that's the, that is mostly <laughs> yeah. like that is robert mitchum's whole arc in this film and unsuccessfully killing a cat actually <laughs> I, will yeah. well, I was that's gonna say <laughs> jamie you were talking about the the isolation of the film earlier and like mm -hmm. i really do think this is a siege movie like they could leave at any time but they're very much like trapped there of their own like by the bonds of just being toxic together <laughs> and yeah, like that's true and in the end the kind of the outside forces beating down on the house are kind of the panther but mostly robert mitchum like he's not there but every second word out of the parents mouths are like where's kurt like he's yep. oppressing them even though he's not there he's miles away like in a cave <laughs> like trying not to die <laughs> yeah and at one point the sister's even mentioning things like if he like she she hopes a part of her hopes that He's not out there dying and he's going to come back. But she also knows that once he comes back, everything is just going to go back to the same bullshit mm -hmm. that they always have to do every single day where it's just arguments and, you know, not understanding each other and seems like they have a lot of secret kind of hatred within themselves. Well, uh, and like, yeah, full on controlling one another and like, yeah, you God, know, this like would trying. have been such a devastating movie to watch during the peak of the pandemic. Literally this movie is, is, is about a kid being beaten down in his house and having to learn to go outside. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Uh, and like yeah. and like be a man ultimately is like <laughs> right, by, yeah. by killing the black cat, you know, like that. It's a very simple story. And I, and I, I do love that it, it cross cuts between what is two very different stories. Like on, on the one hand, as Meg mentioned, you have this very like Douglas Serkian level intense melodrama, like, you know, very, very heavy, very gloomy stuff. And on, and on the inside, it is trapped inside the house. As, it's almost like a stage play. Like, like you have like the stone wall, sort of like fireplace. You have like the black metal and the white wood finish. And you're just kind of sitting in this sort of like kitchen and bedroom area and the you have this generational melodrama taking place inside where this family unit is just basically pushed to its limits and undone by just what seems like years of building 
just general neglect, a little bit of abuse, a little bit of uh, just bad feelings kind of all bubbling up and mm-hmm. and these these sort of second generation kind of of kids ultimately having to, you know, deal with these very strange old mentalities and kind of old bitterness and even bigotries and, and the drunkenness of, of the father too. And having and to kind of learn yeah. to assert themselves plot, like happening in the house that, cause it is, you're right. It is simple at a bird's eye view, but I love the complexity of the relationship between them that kind of like mm. bubbles up over mm-hmm. the course of the film and all of the kind of um, succession stuff and like inheritance stuff feels so real. Yes. Of just like the younger son being like, I can't ask for anything. And then like Kurt being like, I'm not going to ask. I'm just going to take. And then mm. the older one being like, ah, <laughs> like I don't care. <laughs> like, um, I just think very, everyone should get their fair share. Yeah. yeah and yeah. It, it feels very like, um, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is. Uh, like a, a moral story where it's three brothers with very different ways of moving through the world. Mm-hmm. And the right. film kind of does it, it, it um, makes sure to kind of let all three of them make their case for why their way is best. And in, in like in earnest. So like, even though Kurt is the way he is, he's the most capable. Like I don't see anyone else like doing what he did. Like he does definitely like get mm-hmm. shit done. And there is a value to that. Um, but is it like a tenable way of existing? No. Uh, and then <laughs> yeah. the first brother, like his kind of pacifism route doesn't work out well for him either, even though it's definitely the like least wave makey of the three. Mm-hmm. Um, and then our hopes kind of lie with, with our, our third option. Um, yeah. So I don't, there, it, it's very, um, I don't know. It feels like an old story or something in the way that it's like there were three brothers and they all like one was an asshole. One was a pacifist. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, yeah. Ugh, and one, one was just right. Just in, but he learned lessons and from both. And one was like you know? trying to, it was, it was trying to adult. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and it definitely, you're right that it, it kind of presents like all, each and every single one of these characters we meet has like a very prickly personality that kind of rubs up against the next one, which is definitely very dramatically rich to watch on screen, especially when you're trapped in a room with, with characters, like watching these people like fight with one another. Like, you know, you, you do have the brother Harold who, you know, has this, uh, young fiance Gwen played by Diana Lynn, who, you know, Great. he is uh, trying to marry, movie. but she, she comes from a poor family. So the mother is very skeptical of her and thinks that she's just trying to like, basically marry on to the ranch property and she's looking at Harold and going, well, you know, you're the youngest brother. You're not even going to inherit any of this stuff. Like, you know what you you think she's going to like move into a room with you. And then you have like the brother Arthur being like, well, you know, why don't we just carve out a space of land for him ahead of time and like build him a little house over there and he can work the work, the property with like his new wife and barn it. raising. It'll be fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, but, but the mo- the mother is just this very bitter kind of religious zealot basically played by uh, Bila Bondi who is uh, um, another good actually she's so yeah good. I was gonna say Mrs. Bailey and it's a wonderful life considering uh, talking about the it's a wonderful life um, sort of maybe connection that's how there. you got the gig <laughs> no, I'm kidding maybe <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, the, you know, she she is skeptical of this. She doesn't want to split up the property, and that way she kind of feels like she has her own machinations going on where she's kind of dealing with Kurt and thinks that Kurt should be in charge. And then you also have the sister Grace, played by Teresa Wright from Shadow of a Doubt, which we actually have also covered on this show with friend of the pod, Adam Naiman, I think was the last mm. time we talked about Teresa Wright, and she's she's fantastic in that film. We'll talk about another film, too, about, you know, sort of uh, the, the, the sort of uh, domestic uh, spaces just being compl- like irreparably <laughs> torn apart um, in, in, in that film uh, as well. And then we also have the drunken Paw Bridges. Our who only is just, glimmer of, co- of comedic relief, uh, which comes <laughs> at a horrible price. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's the thing. It's like some of his, you know, drunken ramblings and that one incredible shot of him just stumbling up the stairs into his bedroom until you hear a broken glass. Like there, there is aspects of comedy, but the, just the or more him just like time constantly having secret bottles of liquor hidden throughout the house. <laughs> yeah. And the, and the mother like, like telling the sons, please go hide it because he's never going to stop. And all of that, like it just, it does tell you the history just through the way that they speak to each other. Um, but yeah, he has kind of like this, slightly comedic tone to him and then the more time you spend with him the more you're just like oh my god this is what they deal with every single day like he Mm -hmm. gets up he drinks whiskey he starts hitting on gwen uh (laughs) he you know he he mentions i love the detail that he gets up and shaves that day for her and Mm -hmm. like the mother can tell she's just like really he's prettying himself up because his son's fiance is coming over and he's yeah. he's very clearly sexually attracted to her which yeah, he, obviously pisses her off and then also he'll just walk around the house screaming like these thieving females have stolen I, my bottles the, right. the line thieving females makes me so happy it's so funny <laughs> <laughs> thieving females he, he, he literally he, says it like five multiple times, times. <laughs> it's good he even mentions like when there's that and we'll get to more detail but the, the scene where Harold and and Gwen kind of have a little uh, 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 moment, an intimate moment together in the in the farm uh, or the the barn rather. And um, he mentions to his wife that it's like, did you learn anything when you saw? Oh them my god, making I love out? that scene. Like it's so just, good. it's so unbelievable. He, he just ha- he doesn't hold anything back. They were as a kissing. Character. We could use more kissing around here. <laughs> yeah. He's like, oh, were you being a snoop? Well, did you learn anything? Because you're a clothespin, you, you dumb bitch. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, he has, so he has such resentment for, it seems, his entire existence and his family and everything like that. Um, yeah. And uh, it's it's re- it gets really hard to watch as it as it goes on, even though yeah, the whole thing just has that air of of bitterness, right? Like this yeah. cold family history that has clearly been happening for years in this house. And the and we're just introduced to it by these these people sniping we're at very each much other. like Gwen. Like we just got invited over and we're like, what the fuck is happening? Going on? <laughs> oh, yeah. No. yeah. And they're just like exchanging ugly glances and like wishing terrible things on one another. And you're just kind of like, oh, my God, can you guys like yeah. chill, chill out a little bit? Like you, say- you honestly you 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 want the escape of outside where you have the mission where they're tracking yeah. down this uh oh, this black to panther watch robert mitchum get stalked by a massive painter <laughs> yes yeah. yes like like even even the early scenes when when it's um arthur and kurt mm. both go out together and you just get those like 
beautiful cinemascope compositions of them riding on horsebacks and in the snow and they're dwarfed by the trees and the snow banks and the Rocky Mountains. Just this sort of majesty of of nature, which is what you always kind of get when you were talking about the, the, the winter westerns. And it is a little threatening, you know, like they look a little small. They look like they could be swallowed up and there mm-hmm. definitely does become this sort of like paranoid element to them um, being out there. But there, it, it does feel like these guys kind of have a little bit more of a you know, they, they, they can test themselves, uh, against something, you know, there's a, there's a little bit more of like a, like a physical domination. They can kind of it's work more out in your territory. Definitely. In terms of like what a Western was at this time. Yeah. 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 And, and just, and just having to like, even out there, like Artie and Kurt are also still getting into family fights and, and that's mm-hmm. what uh, Kurt, Kurt has to like split up with him just to stop them doing that. But they, they do say like, you know, uh, you know, he he's the kind of um, impulsive brother who does good work, but needs to be ringed in so that he doesn't hunt like everything to make it like a completely unsustainable life for all of them. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, th- that they, you know, he should be nice to his brother. <laughs> he should give his brother a little, you know, a little a little piece of the piece of the land. He should stop conspiring with the mother to strip strip the, the entire family when the father dies or or sell mm-hmm. the property out from underneath them. Yeah. Or, spe- th- th- there's there's so the many mother, different plans. Like, I couldn't keep track, actually. I know. Yeah. And, and speaking of the mother, like I really every time I watch this film, I do think she's the most complex character. Like she's definitely, definitely. given the most. uh like pitch black, horrible shit that a family member could say to another family member. But she Mm -hmm. also gets these moments where she's like clearly self-aware. Like when Mm -hmm. she's um, uh, watching over Art's body, she's like, I think she's talking to Howard. She's like, it's impossible that your father and I could have had such a good child. Like we are both terrible fucking people. I don't know how this happened. (laughs) Like, yeah. um, (laughs) Like she, she clearly knows that she's a piece of shit. And like, I think later in the film, she's like every bad thing that your brothers have, or that um, Kurt has done you two was my fault. Like I, I do realize that I enabled a lot of his behavior, um, which almost makes all the bad shit worse. Like, I feel like it really deepens her character. Whereas if she was just like, an evil, you know, whatever, vile hag, that'd be one thing, but she's allowed to be a three-dimensional person. Mm -hmm. She's allowed to talk about her past, about, like, her and her husband did not want to homestead, (laughs) but somehow wound up doing it. Like, we're given a lot of insight into who she is, um, which I I think why it's such a dread-filled film is that this really does feel like a family uh, with problems that you... Like, it doesn't feel as blown out of proportion as Douglas... Douglas Sirk problems like right it, it it really um it sticks the landing in terms of kind of I don't know really feeling real in a way that yep. makes its silly little uh panther hunting party <laughs> have more magnitude I think most of the sadness is really I mean I guess it's not necessarily subtle but it's the way that they talk to each other like there's yeah, only a couple yeah, moments absolutely. where people really blow up like there's that one where the the drunk pa um you know is talking about how he like wants to leave his body essentially just uh, pretty much telling everyone that he hates his existence but then at the same time he's singing like spirit hymns and stuff and then so that so the ma is like this is blasphemy and and all of that but a lot of it is just them talking about their past the the connections that they've had within the family um and how they were most of the time pretty awful uh, even the stories that they seem to tell when like Arthur is dead 
don't seem to be incredibly happy ones. There's still a lot of resentment and regret. Um, and so, yeah, there's just, it, it, it's, it's very constant and it's somber, but it doesn't have a lot of those like screaming matches that you would expect from maybe a family melodrama. And I think that's a good thing. Makes yeah, it I even agree. sadder. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, because it, it feels like it's a family already like past Accepted that phase. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah, exactly. Totally. And and like it, it feels like we're watching them and, you know, sort of symbolically, I guess, with with the visuals, with how they're being snowed in and everything like that. Like it does feel more like an entombing process. Yeah, it's almost like, like with when, the screaming, it's like that there's something almost desperate and like you're still latching on when there's a screaming match in a film, whereas th theirs are just, you know, the, the very uh, quiet and and depressing um, and it makes it like you said it just makes it feel like they've accepted it already and they're just they're just living together because now they're trapped <laughs> well yeah and, and all the roads kind of like you know like like led to this like led to Arthur being split up in in the wilderness in those big big sh like those big wide shots of him you know being chased and I, I do like that there's this um, you know like he um, you know, loses the tracks and he gets killed by the Black Panther and the the gun that Kurt uh, gave him to protect himself. Like, you know, I, jams, I don't know if he I checked think. it right or it jams or yeah, he, he he isn't able to shoot. And there's this big wide shot of his horse just like running away without him as he's um, screaming. Yeah. And when we later, when Kurt later comes back and finds him and gives him his uh, jacket and straps him. I do love that scene, by the way, of, of Mitchum. I just love the logistics of it, of, of Mitchum just like <laughs> strapping him with rope to the horse and then slapping the horse on the ass and being like, go home. And, you know, he's he's being like, I'm going to stay out here and take on the panther. The horse is going to take this corpse all the way home for me, and which yeah. by then he switches from his dripped out jacket to his uh snowshoes and like cowhide poncho which we later and learned was a fatal mistake because his food was in the jacket yes. that he sent home with the body he mm -hmm. messed up but if, but if you ever just wanted to watch a film of like robert mitchum just like sliding down hills on his ass yeah, and stuff yeah. like this is the one which that you've I, been waiting for you definitely do <laughs> let me tell you yes yeah he's tumbling. i will also i will also say like i think the first time i or like the very first time i watched it i thought that uh kurt had sabotaged the gun yeah and me I thought, too that was what i um, almost thought because they even have that line where he comes back after and he's just like don't worry i gave uh arthur my gun and it's after we directly after we see the jam so it, it did kind of feel like that it was very possible. They, they you know, they, they don't um, highlight it at all, but it even no. it just given their relationships and, and what we've established with the family already, your brain instantly goes there like, oh, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I knows? do think like having seen this film a couple of times, I think that what makes a little more sense is that because Art is such a pacifist, like he literally can't shoot the gun, like the gun will yeah. not comply in his hands to like take a life. That makes sense, too. Um. But I, but I think the door is definitely still. I think the fact that we suspect Kurt <laughs> murder <laughs> is very telling. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, and um, for for Mitchum too. Like when when he starts going back out there, like he does start. He does seem really upset, and he does seem like he starts going mad and 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 cold in in the winter uh, in in the wilderness. Like versus. Mm. You know, the you know, the, there's a level of hysteria that's building for for both of them, because for for Mitchum, it is like this level of paranoia, like there's a cat out here that's murdering our livestock and now my brother. And for the family, it is like, well, we have kind of reached the logical conclusion of where these relationships were going to get us to. Mm -hmm. Like Arthur is now 
dead and you know kurt is also now lost out in the wilderness wilderness and i've like we're I'm, I'm literally like killing my children you know in this in this kind of way and and watching you know her uh like the mother react to all of that is is really brutal like like you you were already talking about the scene where she's like looking over uh, his body and being like, you know, like wrap him in the black and white spread. You know, he was always partial to that or talking mm -hmm. about how, you know, he was just, he was so much better than, 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 uh, her, the, the, you know, the, the parents were, but the, the scene that really stands out to me is that extended minutes long, low angle shot from the point of view of the oh. grave oh, yes. as and Ma love, love and Harold shot. and Gwen and Joe Sam all look down into it, like trapped almost in like this, like trapezoid framing about to lower the casket down. And it almost takes up basically the entire frame, the casket mm -hmm. as it's being lowered down. And eventually climaxes on a eulogy and the cross going into the ground, basically like my darling Clementine style. It's just it's 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 uh, gorgeous. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's awesome. Um, I also love the that went like when Kurt is out, uh, the wilderness shots themselves, like him tumbling down the the hill when he's panicking <laughs> in a complete like <laughs> random shooting spree because he's just he's heard. Uh, well, assumedly heard the creature, and so he's just kind of like shooting every which direction. Um, which well, and doing the craziest death. thing of all, uh, reading poetry next yes. to a campfire. Come on, <laughs> yeah. sir. That's very. I, you haven't read poetry reading, in your life. He keeps reading the first line, which is like, <laughs> "What if you die?" <laughs> and he's like, "Well, yeah. I don't know." <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, which then he needs to burn the pages for uh, for to make a to make a fire later because mm -hmm. he's like that. That's what poetry is useful for yeah. burning. <laughs> I also love the the just how um, like s what you'd think is kind of like a small scale problem where he's 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 lighting his last fire. I think it's his last match that he has, and he successfully makes the fire, and he's very excited. He's like, okay, I love the I'm blue tips on the matches as well. It's one of the other mm. few like colorful moments we actually <laughs> see in the film. Yeah, yeah. Josh just scanning the frame for any colors. Like, <laughs> Where's the color? <laughs> There's blue. There's Where did red. you put it? What does it mean? What are you, what are you saying, Wellman? <laughs> and they they actually have kind of a suspense sequence with the with the snow dropping because it keeps you know he's he's slowly building his fire with the paper that. That he has and the small amount of little like kindling that he that he can find and then he um the dastardly wind it yeah just keeps it just keeps kind of match out. lowering that yeah it, it, first it's the match and then it and he finally gets it and then it, it starts to kind of the weight of the snow starts to lower the branches of the trees more and more and it keeps cutting back to it until finally it just plops down and totally destroys his fire just leaving him like to death basically he has nothing else to do once once you're out there and you can't build a fire and have warmth like you're just you're absolutely screwed and so it it kind of makes him panic and then he falls into the uh i don't know what it's like Insane a cliff or a, ravine yeah ravine <laughs> like, yeah yeah <laughs> like the film is such sure it, kind of, i like it's it's like i don't know like here's a you know an actual mountain range actual valley inside of a house and then it's like a matte painting of a ravine <laughs> like and yeah. it's so large and like otherworldly it looks like it should be on venus or something it's so cool and it has um like i i wasn't it, it happened so fast his his yeah. death and so i wasn't sure if they were gonna have this kind of like okay it's implied that maybe he's in trouble and then they're gonna go back and maybe find him on like the edge of the cliff or something and have this big like <laughs> escape safety like you know moment with between the brothers 
but it's just it's exactly that it's just you you see him fall to his death and um it, i guess it becomes more of like a vengeance story with harold eventually well and my favorite part of that is because we've been watching so much of Richam or Mitchum basically just quite literally just going insane with paranoia yeah. and he's at, w- at one point he's literally talking to the panther that's not there he's like I'm gonna get you I've got all the time in the world and he's going like why you know yeah. he's, he's sitting next to his his little campfire he's going crazy he, and he's traversing the harsh environments in in this fearful state the branches start creating like the shadows over his like single-minded mission for for revenge that he's going to get and what drives him to run towards that ravine is actually harold lighting a giant fire to yes. be like come home and that's my favorite detail is that by the one kind gesture of being like, Kurt, please come home. Here's the direction of home kills. Which, him. <laughs> which Harold was coerced into doing by the mom. So, yes. Like, especially on rewatches, it's like if she had let Harold go, Kurt might've lived. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Yep. Um, yeah. I mean, he, he wasn't looking in a good spot, but no, you know, he, he, like, he, 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 he just set up his fire, you know, Robert Mitchum, like by the way, wheels. apparently, Apparently, absolutely hated everything about filming the exterior stuff <laughs> yeah. that they filmed Good. here. He was, he was living tell. Kurt's uh, the worst time of my life. Yeah, he was living <laughs> Kurt's life in those moments. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but, but yeah, he gets, he gets, uh, he falls into the ravine and he kind of gets picked out kind of earlier on and there, then both brothers are gone and we're just like, holy shit, how, like how much deeper into this like tragedy can this, can this family kind of get? And Harold eventually goes, look, ma, like I'm, I'm just. I'm just going to leave. Like, clearly you don't want me here. You know, you would rather just have Kurt run the house or sell the property, whatever plans you have to do. You clearly think like Gwen is like, uh, she basically thinks that she's like a whore and he's, she's like going to ruin Harold's life or something like that because she caught them kissing is what she says. (laughs) Like, that's it. Like she is a, she is not a, she's not an upstanding woman. Uh, She kissed my son. It's, it's (laughs) terrible. And, and, but, but it is funny when Harold eventually does assert himself and says like, look, I'm leaving. I'm going to go live with her family and I'm going to go get work. And I don't like, that's it. You don't have to worry about me anymore. And I do like the shade of complication to that, where she gets to be like, like, what are you going to do? You're going to go work in the mines and get buried in the ground before your time, you know, like, uh, Mm -hmm. like work in the mines, like your father did. And, uh, the sister basically just goes, uh, basically with the, the, the line that summarizes the film, uh, he's, he's already buried here. We all are. And, mm-hmm. you know, like that's that's what that's what it feels like. It feels like this is like a trapped family. This is the final moment where they either have to like change or like go down with with the ship in mm-hmm. this kind of stuff. And and that is the trajectory of Harold, which is does track, I would say, like narratively and, and thematically that 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 Harold's event, like the, the climax of this is, you know, Harold has to go out and you know go looking for kurt finding out obviously that kurt and art have both been killed by the panther a great and he cut to, by the way where they're just they, like you get the ravine and then they're immediately they've already pulled them up <laughs> yes <laughs> there was no room in the budget for them going down the matte painting <laughs> no and and no room in the budget for uh for a black painter 
Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. Which we do not see is mostly held off screen. And I, I did think it was funny because it reminded me. I don't think it's quite as well done as this film, but it did remind me of the Turner uh, cat people where it's yes. like constantly <laughs> yes. shot with just like shadowy. It's just like, ooh, there's there's like a there's like a bush moving. And you're like, oh, there's a there's a panther. and There's something in there, you know, <laughs> it's growling. what's it? What's it? Yeah. <laughs> but, it, you know, there's nothing quite as stylish in the action as like, for example, in cat people like that pool sequence with sure. like just the use of shadows and the suspense and the build up to it. This definitely has like a they're like, hey, Harold, go over that hill. And yeah. he goes over the hill and he shoots the panther. You're like, good job, <laughs> Harold. <laughs> you have avenged your brother and now you're going to get married. You are. And now man. you're the man of the house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You have killed the symbol of the devil. And uh, now we should skin the devil and turn him into a blanket. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I think doesn't Joe Sam have like one of the few lines Joe Sam gets is he's like, yeah, the the panther did not scare him off this cliff like that. That was his own doing like he <laughs> yes, like very much man versus man here. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, yeah, which is funny after so like hyping kind up of is a red the sort herring. of mysticism like, of it a little bit. Yeah, yes, yes. you're right. But I, I do think like the kind of way that the panther storyline gets wrapped up in the end so quickly, I think does tie into the fact that. It, it does show that the the cougar was just a red herring the whole time that like the real right, villain sure, was yeah. just like all these fucking chaotic people <laughs> like, like just yes being ridiculous and this panther was just like i'm just chilling <laughs> like don't mind me <laughs> yep yeah yeah and then and then it, it does it does kind of have like uh you know it, it tries to have like the the catharsis of they 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 do sort of like eliminate this thing that was, you know, uh, terrorizing them, even though obviously we know that it was something else like entirely that was making them feel, you know, the way yes. that they were. Um, and, and Harold has kind of like assumed his his place at the, the 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 head of the family, which definitely does feel like I mean, I would watch that and I would go, OK, well, he's going to be like the new Kurt now. And I do yeah. think the film tries to have a little bit more of like a like an an optimistic reading of, of Harold becoming kind of like the man of the family versus like, you know, they don't want to completely indulge you in just the perverse tragedy. Even if that's like the version that I seem to always prefer. Everyone gets mad at me when they're always just like, Josh just doesn't like it when the ending is Everyone the most miserable thing. The yeah. Josh is like, the, like uh, Kurt should fall down the ravine, cut to black roll credits. <laughs> like, yeah, it, yes. it should have been Harold being really happy about, you know, becoming a man and avenging his brother. And then he should have fell in the ravine like directly. And the panther shoots through the window and murders everybody. <laughs> There's a second panther yes. and yeah. uh, it kills the whole family. Yeah, totally. Yeah, but but I I, I will say like to be, to be fair, just to be fair to me out there for anyone who's listening. Uh, the movie I does think that feel this, like it kind of deserves a more. Uh, th this movie sustains that grim mood yeah. for so long I of the movie the same that way. it that it does kind of feel like it just kind of like comes a little not out of nowhere. Like again, it it, it builds up to you know Harold's arc absolutely makes sense. It just feels like it happens really quickly. Like he shoots <laughs> the panther. He shoots the panther. He's the head of the family. It feels and, like the you know, only happy moment in the entire film. So I think that's where it just kind of. Oh no, you're wrong. There, there's Besides, one other happy moment in the film that? that I love, which is when, <laughs> when uh, I keep wanting to say Tab Hunter, when um, when Harold is like being whatever a Hamlet about things and being like, I refuse to make decisions, and then she like threatens to leave, and then he's like no i i'm going to talk to my mom i'll be right back and like is decisive and then she like skips mm. away because she like <laughs> mind fucked him into like being sort of, <laughs> like, and the music gets all happy for like one moment in the film <laughs> and like yeah 
It's good. <laughs> yeah. My fiance is a man. Finally. <laughs> yeah. Like truly if, if the mom had any like land to stand on in terms of her being like a mean, manipulative hoe, like that was it. <laughs> like, <laughs> but I feel like, I feel like they have a lot in common, <laughs> like in that respect, like mind fucking the men around them to do what they want. <laughs> yeah. But I, but, but I will say overall, I think it's built pretty nicely, the cross-cutting between the really intense like interior yes. stuff, which has this like aura of just like really heavy melancholy and this like, you know, sort of like forceful emotional quality uh, that does feel like it maybe resolves itself a little bit easy at the end. But, but when you compare it to how it's been working in conjunction, like with the very weird survivorist Western drawn mm. in like, a little bit of mystical qualities, a little bit in sort of like guilt-ridden anxiety and paranoia and like the harsh elemental photography of it all. It, I think it does build in its kind of symbolism and the court characters kind of being dwarfed by by nature there. And I, I, I do think it, it does, you know, build to, you know... Uh, th- this allegory for the claustrophobic nature of like a generation uh, and this history kind of being... A, imposed on the next generation and Mm -hmm. the necessity that this kid needs to kind of basically like kill and bury it and kind of move on. Do better. (laughs) Yeah. And, and, and again, it's drawn in such like this rich mood and sort of atmosphere to it that, uh, that, that, Actually, I think I yeah there was a there was a, a Hollywood Reporter article that came out in the fifties when I was researching this that uh, they that Warner Brothers was considering sending this to the Venice and Edinburgh Film Festival because they basically thought that it was so weird in terms of sort of its tone and sort of emotionality that it played more Let like an Europeans art film than it did a studio it. western. <laughs> yeah, they were like, let's go get good reviews from the French is what they were like, literally what they were thinking. A strategy they were like, still in use to this day. <laughs> yeah, straight up. They were like, look, this this isn't quite for like the American public this is meant probably more for the weirdo Europeans who would think that the fact that it's, you know, really sad and weird is like a good quality, which to be fair is something I agree with on this show. So pivoting, I think towards reductive rating around this is the, this was a pretty uh, sort of like light to solid four um, for for me. I, I really liked how it merged the gloomy family melodrama with the the sort of mystical survivalist uh, winter western. And and you know you gotta love Robert Mitchum just being an asshole um, and you know being dripped out and sliding on his ass down hills and falling into ravines and being scared of a giant cat I and a really really on set. <laughs> yes. And and having a like a melodrama that's so dark and bleak and, you know, complicated in terms of, you know, history and sadness that, yeah, they were like, you know, let's uh, let's see how the the, the French critics uh, uh, review us rather than the American public who will be like, this is just too depressing. Why would I want to watch this? This is like what my (laughs) life is like. Uh, And and so all of that combined together, very, very solid. And also, I will just say it is like a beautiful movie like to look at. Cinemascope, baby. Cinemascope, it's always the best. Anytime you see that frame come up, you're like, this is going to be a good looking movie. But also Wellman, just the decision to really strip the cinemascope of color and only use it in very targeted moments. It it really does feel like it captures this uh, this repressed uh, family life that they're they're living. So, yeah, just gorgeous. If you haven't seen it again, Criterion Channel, it's out there. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. I think it's a a four out of five. I really enjoyed it. Um, There's a couple 
uh, moments I really like. One of them is the the shot where it shows the I think it's Grace, I believe, and she's playing the the organ um, uh, next to the window, and you can see Kurt and Arthur going out to uh, go get the Panther for the first time. But it's from mm. the perspective of her playing the organ, and you can just see them through the window, and it just it feels um, really uh, like. It, it, like they're you, you see them basically disappear into the darkness as she's playing this kind of sad I don't know if it's a hymn or, or, or just a, an, another song that I don't know if it's an original piece for the for the movie but it's really good and then they start to get into the melodrama of the family in that same sequence and in the background you can hear her playing the the sad Oregon song and I, I think those elements are really cool um, and I like the the look of like the I, I'm assuming it's a soundstage what they used for the house and all of that, but they have these awesome wide shots of like the whole house and the and the barn and the snow blowing and everything like that. It's it is it's a gorgeous film. So it's very um, constructed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I and the, once they get out into the wilderness, it really does feel huge in scale and like that <laughs> that shot of when we're talking about Mitchum tumbling down the hill like it's really zoomed out. He just looks like a small figure just doing flips down this giant thing until he lands into the ravine. It feels, yeah, he feels completely helpless in that moment. And um, there's a lot of, of moments like yeah, he's that. He's doing that bit from uh, Hot Rod. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, essentially, yeah. <laughs> if you ever wanted to see Robert Mitchum do that, this is the movie. <laughs> yeah, that's a great reference. Um, yeah, so I, I thought this was awesome. Um, and yeah, the, 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 the ending is a little bit jarring just in the sense of it's like switched to the tone, but I do think because it's focused on Harold's, uh, you know, kind of discovering of him being a man, it makes sense. It's just that everything else is so depressing and isolating and and sad that it it just feels a little bit jarring when it gets to that. But it's it it makes sense within the the character. Um, so it, it's not something that I I hate. I just it, it was jarring. So yeah. Anyway, it's a four out of five for me. For you, Meg. Uh, yeah, heard for, uh, asked me in the winter and it's probably four and a half. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, it rules. It's, uh, like such a solid ensemble piece. It's the litmus test. I compare all like, um, bottle family dramas to like anytime there's an Oscar Beatty kind of like a family with secrets, Chav and dinner, the secrets are going to come out. I'm like, okay, well, is it track of the cat? Is it that good? Um, uh, no. Every, Do you great. hate the mother, but also understand her and sympathize with her <laughs> yes. at the same time? Yes. You know. Um, <laughs> uh, no, it's great, and uh, I um, I really enjoy the way that it flirts with, um, like you were saying, Josh, more mystical elements and uh, even horror elements. Like the way it, it treats the stalking scenes is. Um, like something more akin to a horror film than a Western. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, they do oh, like yes. that big zoom in on um, on Arthur's face when he initially yeah. gets killed, and it, it does feel like that kind of POV killer kind of thing going at POV him getting eaten bit. by a cougar. <laughs> yeah. well, well, even 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 also the silent build up to all each brother being waking the next one up and being like, listen, and you just hear the screaming cows and right. shit like that. Like there's some, you know, there's some suspense in there. Yeah. 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 No, it's it's rock solid. Um, uh, it was a total discovery for me, uh, a pleasant surprise I keep coming back to. And even if you're not like a huge Western person, you should check it out because it's nothing like a traditional Western. 
Mm-hmm. That's true. If you just want to see one of the darkest family <laughs> melodramas of its era interspersed with scenes of Robert Mitchum being terrified of a mysterious <laughs> black cat hiding in the snow. That's the thing. This like, is, like, Kurt is such a fucking asshole for the first 15 minutes of the film, and you're just like, oh my god, this is this man is the devil incarnate. And then, like, for the other two-thirds of the film, he's just, like, getting helpless. dunked on by nature, and it's great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it does humanize him a lot uh, when it just, it, it becomes, like, him against the wilderness because he just all his power is completely taken away from him yeah yeah well yeah and it shows how fragile that is right like how fragile this entire family unit is everything about it like it's literally being physically mystically tested basically and harold is the only one who uh seems to make it through the other side as a uh better person yeah (laughs) i also like and i I will say just like if if the indigenous representation bothers you like that's totally fine it's it's a lot less egregious than (laughs) than other westerns um and it's so badly done (laughs) that i don't i think i think you'll you'll be okay it's kind of ridiculous yeah Yeah. um and also uh all the characters that are nice uh treat him well and all the characters that don't usually uh get eaten by a panther (laughs) so it's <laughs> That's uh, true. The film, the film clearly like understands that it's more self-aware than other westerns at the time. Uh, mm. So anyway, yeah. I know that's a barrier to entry for a lot of people, and that's totally totally justified. Um, but I think when I first watched this movie the first time, I was like, "Oh no!" And then he's like, "Not really in it," and I was like, "Okay, that's fine." Yeah, I also do like um, Grace's moment where she's calling out the family for um, just all their individual faults it seems like she's one of the only characters that outright just says what's going on uh and then also the the similarities of being like trapped in the house and then when she's telling harold that at one point she could have left but now she just feels like she's completely trapped in this black hole of a family so um yeah yeah but when kurt like doesn't come back she's like this is your chance (laughs) like get out yeah exactly (laughs) yeah she's like you need to now or you never will Yeah. yeah And she was right, because he's still there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it, but in case you thought a winter western <laughs> couldn't get any darker, uh, I think that is going to wrap it up for Track of the Cat uh, from 1954. And we are going to be right back, and we are going to be talking about Cutthroat's Night. An adventure in violence that will rip your heart out. Cutthroat's Nine. Violence is the way of life. It's the one movie that you must not see alone. What you see here is only a sample of what is in store for you in Cutthroats 9. For your protection, you will be given a terror mask free at the entrance. We urge you to use it if the violence is more than you can stand. All right, we are back and we are talking Cutthroats 9, the 1972 Spanish spaghetti Western horror film written and directed by one Joaquin Romero Marchand and co-written by Santiago Moncada, who uh, clarified much of this film for me looking at that credit because, Jamie, you will be satisfied to learn he is also the co-writer on a film called The Bell from Hell, which we uh, talked about with uh, (laughs) Nick Pinkerton and All the Colors of the Dark by Sergio Martino. So both incredibly gothic Italian horror films with like Edgar Allan Poe qualities and like satanic cults and just makes a lot of sense. The tone of this this gets into like the nightmare fuel that it kind of (laughs) has. 
Absolutely. And uh, this will be our first time talking about Joaquin Romero uh, Marchand or Marchant. Um, <laughs> he's a Spanish filmmaker born in Madrid and is basically considered by, from what I could find online, he is considered by Spanish critics to be the greatest Spanish Western director ever. Like yeah. he is the, he is like their equivalent to like uh, Sergio Leone in terms of reputation. Well, they were um, contemporaries, weren't they? He actually predates Sergio Leone. Right, um, I knew that. So, 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 yeah. For for them, um, they are yeah. Like he is like, you know, he should be as well known as uh, Leone is. What's, what's um, like a? Um, I'm trying to think of like paella western, croquette western. I'm trying to think of like Spanish <laughs> foods that we can like <laughs> claim. We can come up with a, a funny name for it. Yeah, I, I, I named two foods and I've run out of Spanish food. <laughs> <Whoops>. <laughs> But 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 like all Italian uh, sort of spaghetti filmmakers, he got started in the 1950s doing comedies and thrillers and neorealist dramas um, and eventually Westerns by the time he hit the early 60s, which, yes, was pre Leone and pre um, Fistful of Dollars. Um, he was actually, uh, you know, uh, the, the stuff that he was doing that wasn't this film was compared <laughs> to uh, I just had to throw that one out there because basically like it was it was more comparable to like a Hawks film. Like yes. it, like it was a little bit, you know, eventually in the sixties, it'd get a little bit dirtier and nastier, like in the spaghetti movement. But like the stuff that he's most famous for actually look reading it, Spanish critics actually, I think, think that the, this one overshadows the rest of his career too much, that his other Westerns are more like normal and traditional and very good at being those kinds of movies. He did one called Gunfight at Noon, uh, Hour of Death. Uh, and he also did like a big Zorro movie, I guess, mm. as well. And he also did one apparently co-written with Sergio Donati, who uh, co-wrote Once Upon a Time in the West and The Big Gun Down and Raw Deal. Um, Ooh. So he had like a pretty big 60s where I want to say like basically he he was a spaghetti Western director before the spaghetti Western. Um, and by the time the 70s rolled around, the Spanish industry had basically been overrun by the legendary big three Sergios, Leone, Corbucci, Salima, um, and the Spanish industry, because of the rise of Italian Westerns being as popular as they are, uh, he, they kind of pivoted towards like making comedies. Um, and so for Joaquin, in order to distinguish himself, um, and honestly, probably seeing what the Giallo filmmakers were ramping up, uh, in the early seventies with people like, uh, Baba and Argento and stuff, he decided that a straight up horror Western, was the way to go and made what would become this film. A great which business is, decision. <laughs> honestly, it became incredibly controversial yeah, and no, also I'm one of the most serious. successful films of his career. Yes. Um, and yeah. And, and once again, so much so that Spanish critics are actually incredibly annoyed that this well, is like, what he's most well think, known for. <laughs> I think like it's commonly, or it's, it's often repeated that originally there was like no horror elements in the movie. And then like yes. at some point, either like during production or after probably during someone was like, Hey, <laughs> what if <laughs> um, it's clearly meant to have horror elements. This is just the most devastating yeah. thing ever. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah, you, even, should, uh, I mean, you the, should, you should spice it up. The horror elements do kind of sneak up on you. Like a lot of the time, it does just feel like a very. Um, it uh, does feel like someone just cut Western. it in there. <laughs> like, yeah, and then they'll just just have these small moments that feel um, that, that that are very like slasher heavy, like Fulci. Like I mean, they do straight up close ups of guts being cut open and and like intestines uh, 
falling out of the wound and stuff like that. Like just things that you wouldn't normally see in, in a, in a Western, but um, anytime they ramp up the violence, that's what they focus on. Like there's, you know, there's, uh, th- there's limbs being cut off. Uh, um, it, it's, it, there's, there's people's face being beaten in and just blood going everywhere. People being shot in the head, like on close up. Uh, it's yeah. It's there's no kind really of wild. like gun duels. Uh, like none yeah, of the violence so in this film blunt. is like gentlemanly. Like there's no kind of like see at noon or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> like it, almost it's all, very, all of it yeah. is just entirely. Um, it, it happens very very quickly, and it's usually like an impulsive decision, or it, and and nine times out of ten, like you said, where it's it, it's not this gentlemanly thing where it's kind of two two men versing each other or something like that. It's just people walking up to one another and blatantly killing them and giving my them favorite, no chance at my all. my favorite gore moment in the film, which is just they wake up and someone is like, whoops, I rolled him into the fire. <laughs> my bad. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, no, we don't have to carry him anymore. <laughs> <laughs> my mistake, yeah. Yeah, so nobody knows exactly how intrinsic to the film it was and how much was, like, a marketing team being like, yeah, we need, we need to spice this one up a little bit because there is also a hilarious like William Castle style like tactics that yes. they were pulling with this film where they gave it the tagline like possibly the most violent Euro Western ever made. And they were <laughs> handing out quote unquote terror masks at the theater so that audience members could cover their eyes during all the nastiest <laughs> Which parts. Which is so and funny because like, like name me a part of the film where you'd have the time. Like there's nothing as telegraphed in a way where you'd be like, oh shit, no. time to get my mask on. Like you'd be like, oh shit. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's already too late. It's already it's already happening. (laughs) Yeah, like that. Yeah, it's kind of what I was saying. It's like it it just happens so quickly. These people make such fast decisions and and the violence is just put right in front of you. Like it's always close up. It's always bloody. It's always gory. Yeah, we just uh, went from a a CinemaScope wide shot heavy film to just like up inside someone's guts. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's so gritty. Yeah, well, and also it has an incredibly, like Track of the Cat, I'll say, the one thing it has in, in common is that it has a very, very simple premise to it. <laughs> Uh, which for anyone who hasn't hasn't seen it, it is uh, about this character, a, a, a Sergeant Brown, played by Claudio Undari, and his daughter, uh, Kathy, uh, played by Emma Coa. Now, before I finish the rest of the log line, I just have to point out, friend of the pod, Will Sloan, had a very funny review of this movie that I just want you all to sit with while we talk about this movie, which is um, pretty crazy that the sergeant brought along his daughter to help him transport the chain gang of hardened criminals. Yeah. I wouldn't have done that personally <laughs> <laughs> Seems just wanted just definitely I really yeah just want you to sit with that one a little bit <laughs> I, no one makes good decisions in this movie <laughs> it's just one of those things where i don't maybe i missed it i don't know where the detail was of like why she's necessarily uh, there she she is just kind of part of the I mean, mission we all know for, why she's there but i don't know. well yeah unfortunately yeah we'll get to that <laughs> um but Sergeant Brown is a dude who works for a prison and he is escorting a chain gang of seven various convicts of hilarious names that we will not be able to maintain um, wow. or distinguish between after a little while. And it is not uh, our fault. It is they all just have like names like Weasel or Torch and Slim, I think, is one of them. And one's just called like Snake, I There's think. Dandy I, Tom. Like, yeah, you like that one. I, love I think Dandy you were Tom saying off pod. It always sounds like they're calling him daddy, which is great. <laughs> yes. <laughs> El Comanchero. I don't know what that means. And then you have Dean. 
Yeah, and then Dean. Yeah, just... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, and uh, each one of these characters is a very brutal uh, convict who has earned uh, life in prison and of uh, infinite slave labor, essentially, <laughs> and they are being transported from the mine where they do their slave labor towards their prison on the other side of the mountain uh, in, a, in a wagon that is unfortunately a mining company wagon. So as a result, that escort is ambushed by bandits who are looking for gold. And obviously they're going, well, the gold's probably in the mining wagon, right? And it instead they're like, gold oh. here on the side. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and because there isn't a bunch of gold and instead there is a bunch of bearded dudes inside the wagon, they just start freaking out and killing himself. soldiers. Yes. Yes. Great. <laughs> and the, uh, the wagon eventually capsizes at one point and we'll break down all of these scenes as we talk about them. And, but the prisoners essentially ha- are forced to continue their journey on foot with Sergeant Brown and his daughter, basically leading the chain gang at gunpoint, uh, to make their way by, by foot. But, uh, yeah, there there is also some complications involving they might actually be transporting gold. And mm. these characters are obviously a bunch of uh, characters with histories of uh, distrust and greed and violence. So, so things, the right uh, kind of people to be transporting gold is what I'm hearing. Yes, yeah. exactly. I mean, if you're going to trust it with anyone, yeah. I feel like, you know, these are the, these are the guys. They've earned it. Um, <laughs> and these and- are the types of, of characters and, I guess, prisoners that have kind of accepted their where they are in life it seems like they've kind of embraced the filth a little bit like i was talking about the the guy that pissed himself when the guards just like he's like can we please pull over and the guards like no just piss yourself and he almost smiles at him while he does it um it's just kind of like they've embraced this he's like i was hoping you'd say that yeah yeah (laughs) and even and even the sergeant i mean um it's kind of cryptic at first but he mentions in one of the first lines that he's like a part of him is completely dead and buried back in the golden state mm-hmm. or golden park or something like that. Um, and w- we learned why, but it, 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 it just starts off right off the bat as like just a bunch of like almost ghosts of men, like shells of men that, that are, that are traveling and have really nothing left, uh, in, in their lives. It seems. Yeah. Well, well, and, and similar, I guess I would say the, the other one thing, I guess maybe it has in common with track of the cat, cause <laughs> we will get into the things that are very, very different about these films very shortly here. But one of them is obviously all of the gore that Jamie has already mentioned. Um, but, but you know, the, the, it is using the winter setting to stage a kind of survivalist Western, oh, yeah. um, harshness. Um, yeah, they mentioned that. I really, I really, really love the opening credit that says like interior shot at the sound studio exterior shot in the Pyrenees. Like I think I would love if more films did that. If during the opening credits, they were like, hello, we are the assassination. Jesse James uh, shot uh, near tunnel mountain in. Uh, <laughs> like I would, I, I love that. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, and I just, cause you were mentioning the opening, the opening shots too. I, I really love all the shots of like the snowy mountainside and the, you know, like the, all of the close-ups of like the horses kind of trudging through the snow and all of these guys, you know, close-ups of their, their rusty little like looking chains that are sitting there. And, um, there's this quality to it. Like, yes, eventually we are going to turn up the level of sort of severity and sort of bodily destruction that we are going to see to beyond spaghetti levels of uh, violence to, to basically straight up Fulci um, levels. But it, but it disemboweled that guy and there was just spaghetti in there. <laughs> like, that's where yeah, Westerns got their name. 
Yeah, yeah. I honestly, I because I'd actually argue this is more violent than uh, Fulci's Western that yeah. he made because yes, I've actually yes, seen yes, his yes, Western, uh, Four of the Apocalypse, and these films would the film would make a good pairing with that, mostly because it's also just a film very targetedly about the like degrading experience of like being a, a side character in like a Western story, like mm-hmm. not being like the, the 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 bandits, but like being on like this weird sort of journey where you're just being harassed by all the various forces almost and you're just like in a terrible position um and the kind of arduousness like so so much of four of the apocalypse is those characters just having to like walk for days and you're like please give these people some food and water at 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 some point and there's a there's a part in this where they even have to like straight up to start like carrying corpses um Mm -hmm. around and and stuff like that but um the, the style here is the main distinction i would say yeah, um, oh, yeah. for but, but between between the two films because there is just like this has an insanely rough and gritty style of these Which close-ups of just by these. the current working transfer like the the one you'll find on tubi that looks great does kind of look like it was found in a cave in the pyrenees <laughs> right. uh, which i honestly think <laughs> much like the it. keep like the degradation is like uh a feature not a bug yeah. um so mm-hmm. uh uh, do not adjust your television. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> yeah, it feels like, I mean, you know, you I wouldn't call it by any means lo-fi or anything like that. No, 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 it, no, no. But when it when it does these close-ups, and it's it's not even just of the gore, but it's of their, their dirt, dirty faces. And, um, you know, anytime they're having, like, a realization or even, even when they do these flashbacks, a lot of it is very just close-up and intimate and filthy and... Um, and it's it's it, it is great. I I love it. Even even the way they establish like how these prisoners are put together, like when they have the big pan, uh, a side pan over all the chains that are connected to their feet, as the sergeant is explaining every single person, like um, it just feels really gritty, and it's great. Yeah, well, and, and I like too because I like I'd, I'd say for you know people out there who are fans of I don't know like films in the realm of I guess you could say like you know great silence hateful eight that kind of thing i don't mm-hmm. think this film is as angrily like political or despairing as the great silence no, i don't um, think this film is. has a political message outside of like uh, oh these people are so bad <laughs> like, well yeah that's just it like like for me watching like it by the time personal stories by the time you hit the end i was like oh this is just more of like just the like a horror version of the treasure of sierra madre where it's like literally just a depiction of greed as just this chaotic and ugly force essentially that just like infects these people and they keep getting to the next person and the next person and they just keep how can i destroy this person's body and it's, it's really mean and nasty and even like the good characters are pretty greedy greedy or ruthless or if they're not they are tortured uh, and destroyed for being like not terrible people. And like, (laughs) it's just, it, it is at a certain point, this is just a movie about like, which character can chop and char the other one into a piece of meat better than the other one kind of deal. And we, we do, we do get some pretty interesting, I'd say sort of momentary uh, glimpses into things that, you know, you could see another movie kind of hammering home a little bit more. Like there is this whole part of the film where we find out like the chain gang is kind of being used as a mule for the mining company, which I kind of could have used maybe even a little bit of just to find out like, 
because there was a whole history kind of planned there where they might have said that yeah like the 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 chains that they are wearing are made of gold and actually like like not subtle but like it's so no yeah like that's like that that is like a kind of like a like a political angle of it where they are like yeah like we we wanted to transport the gold and we wanted to do it safer and you know we thought we'd just risk these guys lives like dirty dozen style or killers something anyway like that. who cares that yeah like who fun. like who gives a shit so like that that's a cool um element to it um and also then obviously having their greed brought out of them and also having them all like physically <laughs> you know sort of logistic the logistical complications of the mm-hmm. fact that they are all strapped to one another with incredible value um and i think at one point even one of the quotes is like the life of each of us depends on the life of the rest because they have to like drag people if anyone dies and 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 stuff like that so like there's some cool it, elements um thrown in there for sure and then it, it results too because like once certain people start to die off or they're or they're killed um they still obviously want these these gold chains because it's going to make hopefully one of them rich i guess is probably their <laughs> mindset um but then you get these great shots of like the, the 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 limbs being cut off where the chain is connected to the ankle and then they'll oh, cut God. later oh. on to <laughs> like you've seen that you've seen the guy the dead guy lose his his limb and they they go free and then um later on they'll be walking and you just see that empty uh, part of the chain that was once connected to a man just dragging along the dirt along with them and it just kind of gets, you know, gets emptier and emptier as people uh, separate and kill each other. And so Great it's, euphemism. <laughs> yeah. As they go their separate ways. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thanks to a machete. They do do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, and and you're and you are just watching like it's it's worth noting like you are just watching a bunch of terrible people like rip each other apart like like limb 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 from limb basically like it yeah. is like straight up they're going through the snowy mountainside they're getting attacked by bandits when we're introduced to each one of them they're like yeah so that one is an arsonist who killed a bunch of people that one's a gambler who killed a bunch of people that one's a rapist who killed a bunch of people um, and yeah they're all doing hard labor yeah and uh, yeah. The yeah, film and, starts and, and now and it's all like, before you get upset about the terrible things that are about to happen to these men, like they are very bad. Every single one of them is like they, they say chain gang for life and is a killer. Yeah, exactly. Every single one. So, yeah. And even Brown, like he like we learn that he is is a part of his motivation to accompany the chain gang is that he thinks that one of them killed his his wife. Um, yeah, there's a whole bunch of like weird plot complications to this one, actually. Yeah. And the way and, they introduce yeah. the flashbacks are cool, too, because they never it, it's never that like fade into a flashback with a full context scene. It's always just images that kind of sporadically just like appear. flashes. Yeah. yeah, it's like the yes. characters themselves are just thinking back to those really quick moments. And we as an audience get access to them briefly. And, and most of the time, it's just really simple stuff like a prisoner, you know, once had a wife and seemed like he was wealthy, but then you know, found her, um, with another man. So he blatantly just shoots her in the back of the head in front of everybody at the restaurant. Um, just stuff like that, but it's close up of her, uh, brain chunks flying everywhere. Yeah. Yep. It's wonderful. Wild. And then even when they do like with the sergeant and, um, and, uh, uh, Sarah, uh, Brown is his daughter. Like when they do their flashbacks, it's all like in slow motion, it's silent. There's no dialogue, but you can see that, you know, at one point, at least they had kind of a, a happy family or it's something to, to latch onto in life. Um, but all of it is just, you know, kind of sporadically put into 
um, the image is just kind of put on screen rather than it have a full Mm -hmm. scene in context. It's cool. Yeah, and it's fascinating, like, because Brown is like, I am explicitly here to murder the man who killed my wife. Like, it makes, it right off the bat, it makes him no better than them, and on mm-hmm. the same playing field like really the only innocent is the daughter which again might explain why she's there so that we have like someone um who's not depraved although that does not work out well for her <laughs> yeah um, especially no. by the end i mean yeah um but yeah like truly not a good soul in sight <laughs> yeah it's no, a but and, film. <laughs> yeah and and you and it is interesting that you like it presents that to you in dialogue up front they're like every single one of these is like a despicable person who the second they got off this chain they would like kill you and and honestly most of them already there is this kind of like doomed quality to like they all kind of know where they're headed like that sudden flashback that the one character has where he's just like yeah you know right before you die you see your whole life and they're like how do you know that and he was like i uh I, I got the noose at one point and it didn't it didn't kill me. And there's like that crazy intense close up of like the dude's hand pulling the rope. As you can see, the silhouette in the background start like raising higher and higher. It's just like mm-hmm. a brief like five second shot that we essentially get while this guy is telling the story in the back of the wagon. And, and that's our introduction to all of these people. Then they are attacked by bandits. And there is this sort of like desperation quality to it as well, because the bandits basically say like, look, we've been waiting in this mountain for months and we are starving and we need something. And we knew that eventually a mining wagon would come through here. And you're telling me that you're just carrying a bunch of like slave laborers. Like, stinky like, men. like yeah, they're like, we, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they think about it, I think, but they're like, no, I don't think that we can. And they just start, killing all of the various soldiers bashing their skulls in with their gun barrels slashing their throats with the knives and you just see the wounds leaking everywhere it's disgusting (laughs) it's very focused on the injuries that they're sustaining like they have they have shots of eyeballs like popping out of the sockets and stuff like that again Fulci just like rubbing his hands together like oh boy (laughs) oh yeah yeah it definitely reminded me of that they were like why didn't you pull the eye out what what are you doing that's amateur (laughs) stuff yeah you didn't go all the way you didn't have somebody stomp on an eyeball and it squish (laughs) yeah there is is there no splinters on set (laughs) (laughs) you're in a forest there's splinters everywhere let's go yeah And also, I, I got to say, there, there's one insane stunt in this movie that actually kind of depressed me a little bit oh, no. because <laughs> because the, there's a part where they 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 try to make a run for it in in the wagon and on the horses. And there's a part where they make the horses do a straight up barrel oh, roll. Yeah. And oh, I was man. like, that's just kind of fucked up. <laughs> yeah, th- those horses are toppling down that hill like it. And it's a group of four that are all connected. So it just there's there's no control whatsoever well in the and the movie intentionally like it's so in your face about the like the the physical destruction of what it's showing you so it is like in an action movie when you would see a car do 10 flips in slow motion but it's horses that's how this is filmed (laughs) but it's like horses attached to a wagon just like falling down this hill it's brutal there's even a a moment where um sergeant brown is is has to carry 
uh, Sarah, and I think it's right before they get to the cabin, which is a crazy scene too. Um, but oh, they, God. they, they, it's, I think it's both the actual actors and they're, and he's carrying her over his shoulder. And at one point they just, he just slips and falls and oh, yeah. it looks like she just crushes to the ground and it looks incredibly painful. And, um, uh, I don't know if they got stunt people to do it, but it looked legitimately <laughs> like them. So it, I'm gonna go ahead and just, say no. <laughs> yeah, that I would figure that too with like the the whole uh, Italian production. So I'm not sure, but it it, it looked painful. They're, they're putting themselves on the line, horses and stars involved. And yeah, it's just it's. Uh, I gotta say, I mean, because as as we get further into this, we're just gonna be like depo- talking about each depressing stacking element that they were just like let's just throw another one in there oh yeah what, what we have we haven't done that yet all right we'll, we'll we'll do that we'll add that one in there and like you just get these characters where we are learning that brown does have a little bit of a vested interest in getting these guys to the prison because partially uh you know a, a little bit at agreed because he's got a little bit of the gold like you know that he knows about the gold which they don't know about right and we they they later do learn about it and it kind of taints the entire process for everyone and also brown obviously has this uh, revenge mission that he is um partially on as well so he's definitely has a, a very personal interest in in what's happening here and so much of this is just watching him like march the guys through the mud well for the first ha- half of the film and then something for the happens. first half of the film we'll say yes <laughs> yeah <laughs> something happens that, yeah uh, <laughs> it switches things up <laughs> yeah well it, and did did you jamie did you spot the uh darling clementine thing that they do too which i thought was a really perverse thing to have the guys do they they sing the darling clementine theme but they sing like a like a grubby prisoners version of it they change the lyrics oh, okay it but they literally do the oh my darling okay yeah yeah i was i was i was curious for some reason i maybe it was the lyric changes but um i was like i think i <laughs> I've heard this before and for some reason I didn't think of Clementine but yeah that's that's a pretty dark take <laughs> yeah the that's lyrics definitely are like, if you turn around we're gonna fucking destroy you <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's definitely a very I- I- ironic use of the my darling clementine theme as these just like a horrible soldiers are, or prisoners are being marched uh through and 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 again doing having just so much like torturous degrading detail to it where like they have to execute horses on their way or like one of the guys gets a broken leg due to the wagon doing its barrel roll that it was doing so you know (laughs) yes and even i mean surviving requires death too where they're like they have these shot the one shot of uh, a deer just flying through the air and hitting the ground so that someone definitely just yeeted that deer from off (laughs) did a quick cut yeah absolutely um and so yeah so i guess that like similar to track of the cat like it, it has that that wilderness survival element as well and instead of you know a day or two they have to survive i think it's like six days altogether, and they have to try to feed seven to eight mouths and um none of them like each other they're not they're, they have no relationship like even at least with the family yeah they're not even drama. trying here <laughs> like, yeah there's there, at least with the family like there was some there's some love that just kind of comes with you know, they're with each other every day. They have to learn to work with each other. Um, there's a ton of problems, as we discussed. But with with these people, like they have no connection. Really, they're just like looking to one up each other every single moment that they can get. So um, th- those elements add up too. not just the 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 fact that they're in snow and have no food or 
shelter or anything like that. Well, and what these characters are capable of doing. Like my favorite detail is the one where they have to carry the man with his broken leg through the cold. And it becomes such an annoyance Mm -hmm. to like the six or seven men who have to do it. And Brown is forcing them to carry one of them that in the middle of the night, they just straight up strangle the dude who right. has a broken leg. And they're and like, Brown's well, like, well, you're still going to have to carry him. Nice try. <laughs> yeah. They were like, Hey, he was a heavy load. It was unnecessary. And yeah, they were just like, yeah, wrap him in a blanket, keep carrying him anyway, which then turns into a scene where they revolt against that. And they put his corpse in a, f- in the campfire, while he's sleeping and so when the sergeant wakes up he just wakes up next to this charred corpse and all the goopy texture of his eyeballs sticking out and they start like they start uh chopping up his like charred like ashen body and stuff like that it's just it's really like horribly detailed um yeah in that way and i think that's when they find the detail that like the horror was a restaurant kind of like sus because I'm just like, but it looks so good. <laughs> and it feels um, so yeah. essential to the film. Yeah. Like it, it, like anytime they, and there's a ton of it. Like there, there really is. So it does is. kind of feel like one of those kind of apro- apocryphal kind of like repeated things where I feel like someone said it and then 500 people repeated it. And um, yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm suspicious. Yeah. Well, I, and, I and there's the too much buildup to it, to it to be like, you know, to like not have like like it seems like they discuss those elements like like if those elements weren't in there, it's just like we would know that 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 stuff had, you know, well, had just happened. Like, like speaking, like a lot of this is shot on location, like you'd have to bring mm-hmm. the goopy charred whatever dummy <laughs> all the way up the Pyrenees. <laughs> like like yeah. there's planning yeah. involved in that. <laughs> like that's not like an on set yep. decision. Yeah, yeah. Totally. I hope and not. And to have the makeup be as good as it is. Someone died. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like we need a corpse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, around this point is when we learn where we we get the kind of complicated element stacked on top, where one of the prisoners might have murdered his wife, uh, uh, Sarah's mom, and so it's partially a revenge mission, which we get in this horrible flashback of just a a knife going into a gut. And just the 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 intestines just falling out of his wife, and like oh that's his his main memory of her. Like I'm not the other move. The other Western version of this would be like these pretty flashbacks of you know her be smiling into the camera and him being like, "Oh, my wife." But no, he only her remembers under a bunch of like white sheets. <laughs> like yes, it, like that. That's what you expect. And instead, they're like, "No, no, no, Fulci close up, Fulci yeah, close up." Yeah. For that's the only thing he remembers about his wife. By the way, yeah, <laughs> and the then, color of her guts, <laughs> and then to like. Accent a little the bit of the sadness. The strange color of your body's guts. <laughs> yeah, I think when Sarah has her flashbacks, it seems more like happy. It's like the one thing that she does remember, which adds sadness actually, because now she's in a completely different state of mind and and for zero reason know, environment. <laughs> we, can, we can glean, yeah, that we can decipher. <laughs> yeah, um, but but all hers are like you know they're, they're very bright and there's a lot of um, like uh, like almost sunshine going through the the forest that she's in and she's hugging her father and her mother and and at one point it even shows them I think like on a swing and stuff so it is very uh, idyllic this or, is also, or something these flashbacks really hammer home that beards are contour like I get bamboozled every time I see those flashback scenes because I'm like that's a different man it's like no she oh, yeah. doesn't have a beard <laughs> like, yeah I actually didn't recognize him the first flashback yeah. I was like is this her boyfriend or something he yeah. looks like 20 years younger <laughs> because he he actually just looks like a normal human and not like absolutely filthy and exhausted yeah. yeah 
Well, do you know what? He's a changed man. He's on a mission. His wife's been murdered. <laughs> He's changed. capable of doing all kinds of uh, mean and, and nasty violence. I mean, I mean, she at one point straight up becomes concerned about what he's capable of right like during that scene where you know it is revealed that he's kind of using the prisoners as mules without them knowing it and that their chains are made of the gold and they kind of go oh my god like you put us in danger like you put a target on us and you know like didn't give a shit and he's like yeah so what of it and the right. one guy who challenges him he shoots him in the in the face until his right. eye pops out and then he machetes his leg off um, so that they don't have to drag his his body around, which you get in extreme detail of that machete just like going through his like, you know, his skin and bone and it just like mm-hmm. tearing right off. Yeah. And then his daughter's like, I, I don't know about that. That feels like <laughs> something that those guys would have done, you know, mm, uh, baddies. <laughs> but 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 before she can get that thought even fully expressed through her her head probably for about like 30 seconds she thinks that and then they are overthrown at the cabin brown is strung up and beaten and cut and she is uh raped in front of him uh in pretty horrible detail yeah yeah and this is also the end of his character he is literally watches <laughs> yeah you his, buried the lead there josh he gets fatally cut <laughs> yeah it, it's it's well, well yeah i guess so i was gonna say i don't know if he gets fatal he gets uh he doesn't get cut to death sure, he gets sure, sure. set on fire and well, yeah, we watch okay. his we skin can, melt <laughs> off <yes>. his face <laughs> <laughs> for splitting th- hairs here <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> but but it's i but I, I did want to highlight like this straight up like this this sequence what it reminded me of this is like spaghetti western death wish like straight up this yes. is like yes. a really horrible sequence of him witnessing his daughter you know being assaulted in front of him and he is being tortured until he literally passes out and then they wait for him to wake up <laughs> And then they're like, by the way, you're never going to find out what happened to your wife and set him on fire. Yeah. And him being on fire is what lights the rest of the cabin. And you see, you get this incredible wide shot of the cabin on fire in the, you know, in the snowy mountains. And then it's the smash cut to the skeleton on fire. That really threw me off because you are straight up just watching, you know, he is being melted to his skeleton uh, with fire. Uh, it is insane, actually, yeah. that that's in the film. And to set him up as kind of this, like, you know, he's not a, a hero by any means, but at least just like the, the leading guy that we're kind of focused on his uh, revenge or retribution or, or something along those lines. And and in 40 minutes, I think it's like 40, 45 minute mark. He's just and burnt to like a, a 100 minute movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's just burnt to a crisp, literally to the to the bone. And um, and now you're just left with his daughter. You're like, wait a minute. He was the lead. He was the guy who was narrating the very beginning of the the film. Right. Exactly. What's happening now? You're left with Sarah being alone with all of these men that you just saw sexually assault her. So it's just like you feel as if even though he wasn't a perfect human being, Sergeant Brown, there's like no hope for the one person in this movie that that hey is I'm Jamie. There's there's the one One prisoner that (laughs) she likes. Yeah, there's the one prisoner that. That she likes, yeah, who wants to protect her from from the rest of them. And he does actually try to physically fight the other men uh, before they before they attack her. And and we do kind of uh, it it, it is funny because 
I guess maybe I have just seen enough of like uh, murder murder mystery stories that I kind of went, well, there's got to be a reason that he kind of, you know, he kind of seems to care for her other than he's like the one good uh, murderer right. among them. Yeah. Um, Although he which, does which say, is funny. Uh, doesn't he say something like he he didn't actually do what he was accused of? So he might not be technically a murderer, which or then at least we see that, that moment, he, but you know, well, I was going to say, and then we see that he lies y- because yes. I was there's say, he's uh, the, the most trustworthy of dudes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, and, and, and I, I do like the, because like, obviously there, there ends up being a big reveal at the very end of the right. film of why yeah. he's doing what he's doing. But during the section of the film, you don't know that he just seems like he's the one upstanding rapist robbing murderer of some kind you know well, you can, and he, yeah and i think it's kind of like in that moment where you can kind of believe that at least one of these guys might not be exactly as evil as the sergeant was explaining and you they'd know be like hey, look it's getting a little extreme right you know yeah, I'm like, is, yeah. I draw we're seeing some I'm, is there any nuance to these guys at all like that kind of thing I, yeah I'm seeing some crazy shit I've never seen before right now. You know, people are melting to the bone. L- limbs are being chopped be off. There's something good you know? in here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> kind of desperate and there, for and there, it. it, it it, it does lead to some great scenes. Like one of my favorite uh, beats in the film is the one, cause it's just a, such a feat of strength is the one where he's walking behind all of the other chain gang members as they're slowly walking through the forest. And there's a part where he goes, well, the one who, you know, like really assaulted her, I'm going to strangle him to death. And so he goes up behind him silently, uses the chains, pulls him up by the neck and lifts him into the air and strangles him to death. But he does so completely silently and while still keeping pace with the guys who are walking, which is just like an absurd physical thing to imagine someone doing because just two guys just like walking through the forest and behind them there's a man being strangled to death (laughs) like in the air being just kind of like floating behind them it's really bizarre thing and just the image also of like his feet floating along the ground and stuff too it's it's pretty cool Mm -hmm. Uh, and also it leads to like a big farcical moment, which, hey, another connection to track of the cat where one guy tumbles down the snowy ridge nice. and all of them go because they're all chained together, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is a great moment. I, I definitely liked uh, liked that that big fight. And I think it, oh. there's also like a big flashback moment in there, too, where like one of them is uh, I think he killed like a like a, a Native American and so there's a part mm-hmm. where he is also uh, like falling down a hill holding on to him in like a similar way uh, the, yeah. the flashbacks sometimes just kind of come out of nowhere but I, I did really like them because there was this a lot of them anyway were we were being match cut with similar images but they were just slightly less ugly if that makes sense like yes. they were kind of yes. like yep. some of them like were like a very brief reprieve yeah, they're kind of like the, the the lives that the characters used to live, which even if they were criminals, they were like, you know, they were wearing nicer clothes. They were in like nicer environments. Like laundry. I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. The one guy that almost is like their, I don't know, pseudo leader or something like that. It seems like he was a wealthy man um, prior. And there's even a moment that's cool where they're trying to hunt again because um, you, you you previously see, I think it's Sergeant Brown that kills the first deer. And then when he's killed, they, they go on uh, by themselves. And um, the one like kind of, I guess, leader tries to shoot the deer and misses. And they realize like, have you ever shot a pistol 
like more than three feet. And then later on, <laughs> you see that the only time he's really used one was when he shot his uh, wife in the head, like three feet away from her. Um, and it was, you know, it's a very like cowardly move, but it, it's, I just like that they kind of expose that, that his, his past a little bit or his true character in that, in that moment. And then you get the real context of it a little bit later on. Yeah. Well, and, and I, and I like, I do really like the gimmick that they, they bring up that these characters are all shackled together by this incredibly valuable material, like gold, like literally gold is, is holding them all together. And obviously it's a, a as Meg said, it's like a very unsubtle metaphor, but like at the same Whatever. time, it's just, this it's, movie does it, it's, not, it, if you came for this subtlety. film looking for subtlety. No, well, it, but it's also <laughs> just a cool, like physical complication because yeah. like these characters hate and distrust one another, but at the same time, they kind of also want to carry all of these chains and get to the next place together so like there's a great scene for example of them all waiting for the train in a tunnel um because they're sitting there being like let's wait for this train to come up and it'll break the chains and we'll kind of all free um free ourselves from each other and we'll go and take this gold and we'll and we'll do something with that and there's this part um where you know all of their feet are like lined up against the train and one dude goes yeah by the way make sure the train doesn't get like dislodged and like run us all over or something and briefly they think about that they're like well I, I guess that could happen or like the chain and gets I think, caught in the tracks as it moves by and they just yes. get strangled or something yeah yeah, or or it like drags them yeah. with them. It doesn't like completely break off, and um, the, the I think that's the part too, Jamie, where they have the flashback you were mentioning earlier, where the guy is at the roulette tables. And the reason I bring this up is because I love the fact that the train sound rattling noises it rem mm -hmm. is what reminds him of the roulette table. Mm -hmm. So that's when we get that shot that comes through is as the train starts rattling, you get the, you know, the little ball kind of going, going around and around and around. And then the woman obviously getting shot in the back of the head, because that's just, uh, <laughs> that's what this, what this that's what this is. movie is about. Yeah. It's like, okay, we went yeah. too long. We need, we need something. <laughs> we need something to yeah. blow up. We need, yeah. we, we need something rotten and, and gruesome to show some everyone. bodily uh, organ to spill out of a body. Mm hmm. Yeah, or we need some like surreal nightmare sequence where one of them <laughs> yes. starts like imagining being attacked by crows. The fact and then that Brown, this film like, ends with like a Lynchian just nightmare is so funny. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, and 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 like Brown like coming back to life and like reversing the footage of the cabin burning and like rebuilding so that he like he comes out like zombified to come like attack him and stuff yeah, and he like that. Apparently, in the fog and the smoke like he's a ghost. It's it's awesome. That was probably my favorite sequence of the whole film honestly yeah, it's pretty good it's very stylish um yeah. and and also apparently enough that uh, people at the time were like confused about it i, I found like one contemporary <laughs> really? review that like someone legitimately thought that it was like wait is he a zombie like is this, <laughs> is this happening it's that's so funny it's like just give it one more minute of context man and that answer will be brought to you <laughs> that's incredible I almost wish that he did come back as a zombie though, and just started killing everybody. Just straight ghost style. Well, that yeah. that would that would be Fulci yeah, right that there. Would you know, Fulci <laughs> totally. Because then, and, and it would it would almost line up with like uh, how he was set up as the lead, and then didn't get any of his vengeance that he was looking for or anything like that. So I, I could see an al uh, an alternate version of this film where that happens, but yeah. So then, then he becomes the reanimated cop looking for revenge. We've talked about a couple of those. Yeah, he becomes exactly. a maniac cop. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> there we go. It turned into a Bill Lustig movie as yeah. well. Speaking of another filthy, uh, yeah. filthy guy who loves to destroy bodies on screen. Um, 
but no, this this has definitely a much um, you know uh, bleaker sensibility, or at least like not as cartoonishly. Um, uh, you know, it, it it doesn't want to get that silly with it. Like it just wants to get more. I don't know what the what the what exactly the word is here. Like just more here, let's, ruthless. Let's look at yeah, the, ruthless is good. The advisory <laughs> that Twitter sent me when they locked my account for posting a stuff. Oh, because okay. Oh, yeah, because you posted screenshots of this, right? And you got uh, you got locked. <laughs> no, I, I could have. I posted I posted um, the severed head from Hereditary and the severed head from uh, Silver Bullet, and Twitter said. <laughs> Let's see if any of this rings true. Violating our rules against posting media depicting gratuitous gore. What are some highlights here? Uh, exposure to gratuitous gore, or is it? Oh yeah, okay. Here, Inti- intent to delight in cruelty or for sadistic pleasure. I feel like that. Okay. I'm like, yeah, there you go. I'm like, that's, there you that's, go. That's all the movies I watch. I'm like, um, can I? Can I share this right. art? Come on. Yeah, I know. I'm like, it's not real, you idiots. Like. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that's definitely the vibe of this movie is just like, yeah, just posting severed heads on Twitter, (laughs) the movie. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean like consider the way that this ends because these characters, again, like they, they have, you know, they, they are taking the daughter around with them to finish out their mission, to get this gold and go back to being bandits or whatever it is that they're going to go back to their criminal lives. Um, they've brutally murdered the protagonist of the film halfway through. <laughs> They've now separated themselves uh, from each other with the gold. And the, what is the first thing they do? They, they go to a bar and they just start fucking with people at the bar. And, and, and you immediately know that these guys have, because they have just such like a, a doomed reality, they just don't, they don't even know what it is to do other to, than to be like a violent yeah. plaything. Yeah. So uh, when the one guy goes to the bar, he's like, oh yeah, by the way, I'm in prison because you said like I didn't pay for this drink or whatever. I put like $5 onto the table to buy a drink and then you took it and said I didn't pay and you're partially why I got in prison. So now it's time for us to have a little conversation. And he walks up to him. He straight up guts the dude. <laughs> disembowels him puts a hook in his back and then literally pulls him up like into the rafters of the bar yeah it the, just lets the, him the, bleed the, out yeah <laughs> it's fucking crazy and this is in front like, of the like the guards and the the army that is you know that's sitting there as a group yeah, and and all the other people are like, dude, dude was that necessary? <laughs> like, did we really need to do like like we're we're we have gold. We could use the gold to just like buy horses and get out of here. And they're like, no, 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 no. I need you don't understand. I need to disembowel this man and show his disemboweled corpse and and lift him up into the air so that his intestines fall all over the soldiers we have imprisoned watching us. Yeah, he just had that like it was inside him and he needed to do it. It was it's wild because they have like you said, they have the money to get whatever they want at the place, whatever, whether it be food, drinks, service, whatever. Um, and he just has this kind of vengeance. He can't let go of what happened three years ago. And so he just brutally murders him. And it's, yeah, it's, it's wild. It, it is a, I don't know if you already said it, maybe I missed it, but it is very like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> yes. It, yeah, it is. It is yeah. like, yeah, when, when, when he like puts her on the meat hook yeah. uh, in, in the basement, it has that same kind of just like, is uh, it Texas Chainsaw really, also 1974. Hold on. Uh, yeah. Hold 1974. On. This is 1972. <gasps> oh, okay. I was, I, I so wanted there is, to so, be so, like so something beat in the water. So he beat Toby Hooper. Yeah. Yeah. Toby saw this. He's like, I'm hooking it up. 
Fuck <laughs> me up, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I got, I got this. I got this. Um, and then, uh, yeah, but then the very last thing this has in store for you is that obviously the one good criminal who has been trying to help the daughter through this horrible situation that she has found herself in. Uh, he turns out to be the guy who killed her mom and he drew the straw or the, the match or whatever it is to be like, who's going to go in there and who's going to do it. He just got unlucky and he grabbed it and he goes in there and he, he is revealed in the flashback and she is just like, and, and I think that happens as he's dying because we get his flashback as he's dying. Right. Right. I believe so. And so there's like this whole thing where she's just like, well, that was the last guy to kind of live for. And he's having, so I don't know that she, (laughs) she, I don't think she ever, she never finds out technically, right? He doesn't know that's his, that's his subjective flashback that he's experiencing. It's, it's almost darker in a sense too. Cause like we as an audience now know his history, but she's still mourning him the same way that like you would mourn maybe a lover or something like that. Um, and she'll never know exactly what happened. There's, there's something about that too. I find really devastating. Yeah, like that's that, and you do wonder if she would go full suicide mission if she knew if she knew that. If she knew, yeah, totally, totally. Because that was kind but of also the it's one like, last thing what are the other ways out? To, so, because I I do I do really like that her final decision, which by the way is to uh, grab a bunch of sticks of dynamite that are just sitting in the bar, <laughs> and just blow the entire bar up with the rest of the prisoners inside. Her included. Because she, her included, yeah. It's, and a, it's and really, a really the only crazy, logical way that this movie can end, to be fair. That's what it feels yeah, like. All by of the, the end, characters just, explode. Yeah, it's nothing but <laughs> depravity the whole time. So you're just kind of like, well, yeah, I guess everyone's just gonna die. <laughs> like it doesn't doesn't feel like there's an out in, in any other sense. Um, it has that in common with the Great Silence. Do you want to see every sure. character be just mercilessly <laughs> shredded by the yeah. end of the film? Um, and the fact that yes. she just, as a character, has no hope left that she includes herself in that in that explosion she doesn't necessarily have to but she She has to like get her bones yeah 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 she just feels like there's nothing left for her so she she destroys herself as well it's it's crazy to watch it really is like there's there really is no hope left in this movie like we were talking about the tonal change a little bit with track of the cat this one just stays there (laughs) completely depressing (laughs) the entire time it's it's doomed you got your you got your wish josh (laughs) it's true i got a giant wide shot of the entire bar (laughs) exploding from from the inside (laughs) and And just and then and literally comes up finn yeah they're like like, all right all right everyone's dead that's that's all you needed (laughs) to know josh stands up and applauds like in citizen kane I almost yes. would love to see the reaction of the one officer that's coming up on the wagon as this is <laughs> happening. And he's just like, what the fuck? <laughs> but, uh, well, I actually really like that detail because I think that's partially why she does it. Like, mm. I think it is a, a case of she's just like, well, I've seen what these guys can do and they are just going to continue to spread yeah. destruction even further. So sure. let's just like end it right now. Well, because because there is like that well, even- close up of the wagon pulling up and you're just you assume they're just going to kill those guys and take their wagon and keep keep on their destructive journey. So she's just like, yeah, I'm going to just nip this in the bud now. We're all, we're all going up in flames right now. Yeah. They're even looking through the window and discussing like what they're going to do when he arrives. Um, so it's, it's definitely one of those things she recognizes something is ongoing and will not stop. So she throws some dynamite at it as you do. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, gotta say this is uh, pretty filthy and Meg, (laughs) you are, uh, 
was this one that you say this isn't one that you watch every year is it is this one that you or is this the same thing that's what you said uh i mean i watch it pretty like probably this is meg's cozy christmas time (laughs) just throw it on cuddle up with Um, the family the dog well i mean it's on tubi like it's so accessible i can't help it (laughs) yes yes uh, no, I've definitely and, I, 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 I've watched it more times than <laughs> than I probably should have. The average person, yeah. Because <laughs> I because I will say this is not like like obviously you know like we've we've seen a lot of really horrible sure, horrible sure, stuff sure. on the show, but oh, this yeah. is this is one that is intentionally trying to provoke. This is one that it's is hopeless. really. What do you yeah. mean? No, I'm kidding. This is. <laughs> Very, very rotten, very vile stuff. Like there are no, (laughs) there are basically no good people in this film. And the one or two who are like slightly better than the rest are basically like tortured in the most horrible way possible for being that those members of, of the crew. And I do just kind of have to respect the sheer commitment to how it commits to the bit so hard. (laughs) Like, yeah, yeah, like like, it is just pure brutality. You get nothing. (laughs) 90 90 minutes of devastation, hopelessness, loneliness, violence. If this movie was two hours long, like, thank God. I know. Right. (laughs) Oh my God. Yeah. So like if you were legitimately, if you were ever found yourself wondering like, uh, what, it, what, what if I wanted the the harsh bleakness of my Sergio Corbucci, but I wanted it with that that torturous that splatter red. hellfire of uh, my my good friend Lucio Fulci, <laughs> and uh, yeah, this is this is the exact intersection oh, of see, when you uh, those two things. Describe it like things. that, though. I'm like, yeah, it's a good movie. <laughs> like, yeah, no, it is. It is like like if we're pivoting towards reductive fighting round, this is a four for me, easy. Like this is yeah, this is like a, this is a like I like again. I do, I do think that at a certain point, it is just stacking and escalating unpleasantness for the sake of doing <laughs> Hell it. Yeah. Um, but luckily, I am someone who, if that is done really effectively and it's done in a really well made way, like I don't necessarily care that it's ma- it's not mounted to anything deeper than you know these characters are incredibly greedy and chaotic and they just you know they slowly you know go into a, a muddy hell with one another as a result of their decision making and so that's definitely enough um, for for me to to justify it and I do think for you know being I I don't know if this is our first time talking about a Spanish western. But like it's a you know, it's pretty cool that, you know, here is like a Spanish filmmaker who, you know, seemed to be kind of overshadowed by the Italian market and was like, how do I do something different? How do <laughs> I beat, you know, like the. <laughs> yeah, like like the, like the like I was I was doing what the Italian Western filmmakers were doing before they were. And, you know, now they're doing what I was doing and doing it to more acclaim. So I guess I need to differentiate myself. And yeah, he made it at. You know, a straight up in our like indisputable. It's it's a horror film, yeah. Um, yeah. and I don't know. Is there like an earlier Western horror? Uh, than- not without like a good deal of arguing. Like earlier when I was like, "Track of the Cat" has horror vibes. Like I think that's kind of like as far as you can go. But I don't. I really don't think that anything touches this. Mm-hmm. No, like like, like if, this is straight up is, a, like, a Italian horror splatter film. Like you it's know? very like sad and rainy. Uh, but this film like. <laughs> Again, like that Twitter notice. There's like, like some noirish shadows in the western. In its carnage in a way that I I really like is more akin to a slasher film than any western I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah. It's like bad vibes so really much abound across westerns, but like bad vibes plus like 
This is evil your vibes. insides coming out. Like that's special. <laughs> yeah, this was sent from hell, a hundred percent. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and and before I wrap up, uh just one last point for I don't think we brought it up yet, the score. Oh yeah. I thought the score was really well done. Cause it's like it it has a mix of like the sort of like intense and rousing like horns that you'd hear in a spaghetti, but it's infused, I thought, really well with these like ominous downbeat like choruses, like lots of like yeah. oh oh <laughs> like you know, doing like these the, sort of weird vocal work. What's interesting too is that they use a lot of the ominous and dark um score stuff with the flashbacks that are actually expressing something a lot happier where where the characters are and and so even when you get these images of like something nicer the score is like no you're still not escaping the hell that you've been watching this entire We're back time to the, you get nothing <laughs> yeah yeah exactly yeah. good day so, sir <laughs> yeah um, and, and, and at a certain point when it builds to like it just keeps stacking it and stacking it and then just like yeah and they all exploded and died like there's just <laughs> there's a there's a like like when you when you say it it is silly but it does build yes. to like at a, in my opinion like like I was you know there's an effective like hauntingness to it oh, almost yeah. uh, that I you know I, I definitely kind of sat with after watching it, it would be like pretty wild to watch like a traditional rousing heroic western like pro-american individualism <laughs> etc and then watch this like that would be great a whiplash yeah. <laughs> yeah that'd be awesome just a john wayne classic and then bust into this yeah um yeah i'm gonna i'm also gonna <laughs> give it the four i think it's just uh, like i have to have, i have nothing but respect for how hopeless it feels <laughs> and how constantly depraved it feels and every character is like irredeemable even the the leads that seem to be people you should maybe latch on to a little bit more Maybe minus Sarah. Um, and and even her, like, by the end, she's so hopeless that she blows herself up with the, the, the bad people in the cabin and everything like that. It's just, it's crazy. Like, this, the, the evil vibes remind me of, like, uh, what you'd see in, like, High Plains Drifter or something like that. Mm. But then you have the Fulci gore effects that are just so close up and um, detailed. Uh, he does not stray away from watching guts just come out of a torso and, and like we're seeing melted bodies. We're seeing people get their heads beaten in with the backs of guns. Like it's just, it's, it's insanely brutal. It's one of the most being set on fire and you watching their skin, like melt off of their body. (laughs) It's one of the most ruthless films that I've seen for sure. Especially when it comes to just like Westerns, uh, specifically, um, and then adding the not just the gore, but like the nightmare fuel of of uh, like the reverse, <laughs> the house being built in reverse and the ghost of uh, the Sergeant Brown coming back. And, and uh, you know, the, the birds, he's envisioning birds attacking him because they sense death. And there, there's just a lot of really amazing elements to this. So, yeah, I, I'm going to give it a, a four out of five. Really good stuff. Check it out. It's on Tubi uh, <laughs> if you want. Uh, yeah, easy four for me, uh, obviously. Um, yeah, I mean, it's like pretty, the amount of times where a film has like a a notorious kind of aura around it about it being like, especially provocative or like pushing the limit, like (laughs) usually like it loses a bit of that edge over time. But I really think that Cutthroat's Nine is like, hasn't lost anything (laughs) through the decades, (laughs) Like, it still really packs a punch, and I think it's a very solid 
um, Morose Snowy Western, and uh, I also think it's a very good splatter gore film, and I think it marries those two elements very well, and I think Criterion are cowards for not including it in their collection. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. Listen up. Maybe they couldn't Janus. wrestle the rights away from Tubi. <laughs> Tubi was like, no. <laughs> We need this, is, this. This, is, this is the backbone of our catalog. You <laughs> yeah. can't have Half this. Half our views come from Cutthroat's Nine. <laughs> no, no, no. It's good stuff. Um, and uh, I, I assume there's a lot of Fulci heads who listen. And if you haven't watched this, then of course. it's definitely worth checking out. Yeah. If you're a fan of Fulci, you'll be a, f- a fan of this. Yeah. Fulci was definitely a yeah. fan of this. So yeah. <laughs> join him. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and and have a have just a miserable time. Yeah, uh, both of these yeah, films are available on streaming. <laughs> Watch it Christmas morning. Yes. Yeah, it's perfect. It's perfect. Uh, but yeah, I think that's gonna wrap it up for this week. That was uh, Track of the Cat from 1954 and Cutthroats Nine from 1972. And our uh, the 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 uh, <laughs> the uh, s- snowy cozy vibes are underway thanks to miss meg shields oh my God, you're so um, welcome <laughs> uh but meg this is usually the part of the show where if you've uh, uh got anything to plug we uh we have you do that here what's going on in your world what's 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 been going on in the writing um i'm over at film school rejects um i have been doing horror streaming roundups i do one every month so if you like horror and you're like i need to know about all the horror that I can stream this month and I have eight subscriptions, go check out that (laughs) column. Um, uh, I basically do the work that I would do on my own to figure out like if I can do a franchise marathon or something and then just have it in an article for people to read. It's like cliff notes, but for horror streaming. And then, Mm -hmm. uh, and then I also do special effects breakdown columns over at film school rejects. I just did one, um, that will be published soon on the melt sequence in the devil's reign. Um, and don't post it on Twitter though. No. Cause then I will get put in Twitter jail <laughs> for delighting in <laughs> gore, my whole brand. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I, that, that's what's going on in writing world. It's just uh, writing over at film school rejects and watching a lot of snowy Westerns. You, I, I dunked on them earlier, but the, the snowy Western catalog over at criterion is quite good. Um, and uh, uh, could have been twice. Yeah, what else is there? Ravenous is in there. If people want yes. more horror western yes. vibes, uh, that's a good one. Horror western vibes, but also with a banjo soundtrack by the guy who headlined mm. the Gorillas and Michael Neiman. Hell yes. Um, yeah. And uh, this is going to be a little inside baseball. Did you know David Pryor did the the DVD and Blu-ray work for that film? Somehow that makes so much sense. Yeah, I, I, I spoke to him briefly about that, and he was just straight up like, uh, he was like, yeah, so that movie kind of was flopping when it hit theatrical because they mismarketed it, and he <laughs> helped put the together, he helped put the uh, DVD package together for it, and it was a massive hit on DVD. So he's a hero. Um, so Did you tell him? So you- David Pryor saved Ravenous. Yes, I told him it was a great film. Um, um, the Great so, Silence, which we've western uh, westerned, oh my god, my brain, which we've mentioned a couple of times is on the... <laughs> <laughs> yes, one of the show favorites. If anyone on the sh- listening hasn't seen The Great Silence, shame on you. Yeah. No, I'm joking. Go go watch it. It's a little wonderful. Bit of shame, and a uh, um, little bit of McKay- shame. We have an episode McKay- on it. What, what did we pair that with? I don't remember. Uh, so just the great silence yeah, again. I don't 
Yeah. Watch I think it we twice. did. I think we did another Corbucci. Um, that makes sense. But uh, McCabe and Mrs. Miller is on there yeah. as well. Shot in is, uh, North Vancouver. Aggressively shot in North Vancouver. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. When I sh- I was watching it, my dad walked into the room and he was like, "Is that North Vancouver?" And I was like, "Yes." Like, <laughs> um, uh, Day of the Outlaws also very good. Um, highly recommend. That is a black and white west uh, snowy western. Um, mm, I might need to watch that one. I also want to watch the Anthony Mann one, the uh, the Far Country with Jimmy Stewart. I love Anthony Mann. So have you seen um, the is. Naked Spur? No, I actually I think that's one of the ones I haven't. I was trying to think what's the other that's Anthony really Mann that I've seen. Anthony Mann, Jimmy Stewart team up that actually has a lot in common with Cutthroats Nine, um, Ooh. where it's like a sheriff who basically does a long con with a group of convicts um, to try and get the entire um, bounty on them and like there's a mid film reveal of that he's playing them. I won't give it all away, but it, oh. it's very, very good. Um, cool. No, I'm, I definitely have to check that out. The one I was uh, thinking I got confused with is man of the West uh, with uh, Gary Cooper. That's the one, that's the other Anthony man that I, I really like that I've seen, but no, he's very good. Uh, so yeah, check out the w- winter, winter Westerns. There's a lot of them get into the vibe. It's good. I really um, think that we need to reclaim December as the winter Western month. Like I think going from Halloween movies in October to noirs in November, I'm always like in December and I'm like, now what? Like, I don't want to watch, I can only watch so many Santa slashers. Like, give me, I need something else. So <laughs> I feel like, I feel like this is a good alternative. <laughs> That's true. And that actually sets us up, uh, perfectly for, because this hey. is the episode right, right before the Christmas week episode. So everyone's and just watched we, Cutthroat's Nine, <laughs> like right before Christmas. <laughs> yes. And, and so we, and, and, and we were, we were looking at it and every previous year we've kind of done a Christmas themed episode, but we, you know, we are slowly at a certain point, we're going to run it a Christmas themed, you know, genre things to talk about. So we, and we decided this year we would give the patrons a very special treat for <laughs> the Christmas episode, I'm so scared. which is, <laughs> Oh yeah. We, so, so next week Welcome for Christmas, punk. For the for the Christmas episode, we have a special present for all of you, where which is safety from edged weapons. Oh uh, we are going to be talking <laughs> about a Canadian instructional video exploitation movie yep. called Surviving Edged Weapons. Let's go. Which is ninety <laughs> minutes of Canadian cops trying to figure out how to not die in knife accidents, yes. which is basically, from what I understand, filmed as if it was like a hysterical propaganda movie and straight up like uh, that Estes Perkle, like fire and brimstone style, like, you know, preaching almost. So we're going to be talking about that and we're going to be pairing it with another uh, propaganda video you guys wanted us to cover that apparently has extreme horror vibes uh, exposing the satanic web we're gonna get so, so safe this holiday like it's that's be just great. it you know we're, we're, we're <laughs> gonna we're gonna we're, safety <laughs> yes, yes yes safety from we Satan are, and safety from edged weapons from knives that's yeah. right I mean, like those you are know the two you, things you, you have I've been, to worry about honestly i feel like i've been waiting for years <laughs> for this episode i think it was only established this year but i i literally feel like i've been waiting since the beginning of the show to yeah to cover the, this, the, so. the context here is that the patrons this this double feature has got second place like oh, five times <laughs> in the voting poll <laughs> And so we, we, we really wanted to just give it to them. But at the same time, I feel like it is a good present. Like they are going to learn not yeah. to go to the family holidays and you're not going to get stabbed and Satan won't take over you. Honestly, take over I your feel life. Like crazy uncle isn't something film, to worry about anymore. All the characters in the films we just talked about should have watched these instructional videos and might have survived. Survive, <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> they would have had a much better time Satan's yeah. if and they had just all the knives. <laughs> if they had had a, a bunch of Canadian cops yeah. uh, explain to them that uh, you know you don't you don't necessarily have to take a knife at that angle. No, um, <laughs> it's the wrong angle. So, I can't yeah. wait. <laughs> oh my god. So so that's what we're going to be talking about uh, next week over on the Patreon, and then the week after, it's the big one: the best genre movies of 2022. We do it every year. Gonna be uh, an extravaganza. We, we, it's gonna be long. Jamie and I count down our top ten favorite genre films that came out over the last couple, uh, uh, couple twelve months exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we also throw out a bunch of honorable mentions. That episode is always incredibly long because Jamie and I won't shut up about That's every right. little tiny mm. direct-to-video movie that got a release, but it was actually secretly better than half the action movies that you saw in the theaters this year. Looking and so you, that is Gray what Man. we'll be doing. Yeah, get your... Well, that didn't get out into the theater, did it? Oh, I don't did know. I, I don't, yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I just knew Let it was it a big uh, budget movie. <laughs> I actually think I actually think Netflix did give it a theatrical release in Toronto, which is pretty embarrassing. Wasn't it still um, like a hundred million dollar budget or something? I thought it's their it was second. Pretty, I think it was more than it's that. Tied oh with, my god! Um, it's tied with the movie with uh, Gal Gadot and Ryan Reynolds for their most expensive movie. I think Red Notice. Yeah, I think I, I yeah yeah oh, I, I think fuck. it's like a two hundred or two hundred and fifty million it's dollar like, thing. It's like it's a sarcastic amount of money. <laughs> 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 just burning it essentially yeah needless to say i do not think the gray man will be getting an honorable mention <laughs> no. but we will be talking so. about a lot of uh genre films that came out this year which for the free listeners is obviously a big deal because they don't get the bonus transmissions where we talk about these films all year long so this right. is going to be you know which, which were our favorites sometimes letterboxd is not clear not a simple rating will tell you jamie and i we're going to be uh, cramming in the last minute stats right. which one did i like slightly better did is, <laughs> yeah. is, is mad god uh, a, a top 10 or is it a top five let's find my top out. seven you are all, almost always like you could every other day it would be different so that, that's just what it is but the top three are usually pretty well thought my out. favorite is which ones are actually genre movies and which ones aren't mm. it's always great <laughs> debates yeah you know yeah which which which, which one is enough on of a there. genre movie you know yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so that's what we're going to be doing. It's going to be the big end of the year episode. So look forward to that. Um, and that'll be over on the main feed in two weeks. But that being said, I think that wraps it up for everything this week. Thanks so much for listening and keep us easy. Keep us easy.